0: and he said no but the answer is yes you got a culture problem so you can't sit there and say that you're gonna be be able to sign big fish in the free agent market players are chatting (laughs) everyone knows and is chatting about this kind of stuff and Quinn is is talking to to his buddies on other teams and they've got an issue on that front so it's a culture problem and Hughes just shone a light on it and so we'll see what happens but it's a big problem
1: Is episode 143 of Left Side Heavy the podcast presented by Blue Wire? It's your boy, Jevin LeFave. And of course, we have co host Hayden Barton as well, with special guest, reoccurring guest, fellow Saints fan of Hayden Barton, <laughs> Brett Rosell. How's it going, my brother? How are we doing?
0: Going good, boys. Good to be back. Good to see both of you. Uh, hope your day's going well. I'm thrilled to be here. Chat some sports.
1: Dude, it's been a while since you've been on, man. It's a pleasure to have you back. Thanks, bro. But um how uh how have you been enjoying um the latter half of the football season and the uh, wildcard weekend so far? How did you uh how did you feel about it?
0: I've been enjoying it, man. Uh, all my wounds have healed after the fantasy football season. Uh, <laughs> lost uh, lost a real tough one in the finals. So I, I kind of recovered from that and then I was able to sit down and watch a lot of football this past weekend. I didn't have a lot of social engagements, which was nice. So, I thought it was a successful wild card weekend. Some of the matchups were better than I thought they'd be on paper, um, and I was I was highly entertained all all weekend with uh, with some good football. So excited to chat about that for sure.
1: Love to hear that. Have you? Uh, did you have a good New Year's and stuff, and Christmas holiday with the family and everything like that? I did, man. Super busy,
0: super busy, and back on the treadmill now, as you know, with uh, with BCIT. But no, it was a good break, buddy, and and uh, all systems are go again. And uh, heck, it's a good time to be a sports fan. And I'm already getting excited for baseball season. So it's uh, nothing but good things over here.
1: You got a kid? How's the kid?
0: He's good, man. He's like a year and a half now. And, uh, he's outside of the house right now. So hopefully there's some peace and quiet, <laughs> for your <pod. laughs> but he's good, dude. He's like racing around. He's throwing things. He's running. He's tough to, he's keeping me uh, on my, th- on my toes. That's for sure.
1: Saw so on your Instagram that he's getting to lacrosse, practicing his lacrosse traps or some something. Yeah, comes I it,
0: honestly, me and my old man are big lacrosse guys. So, uh, I I'd have no qualms with him getting into that sport. I I'd take that in a heartbeat.
1: Is he is he, uh, is he he uh, getting into a lot of athletics and stuff like that, or is he kind of just playing with whatever?
0: I mean, I like to think he's going to be an all-star pitcher. He's really working <laughs> on his arm. Uh, so, you know, without forcing him into anything, I'd be thrilled if he uh, took to the bump at some point. So far, he looks like he likes pitching, so I'll foster that if I can. <laughs> hey, man,
1: it's never too early, man. It's never too early. You never know who's watching, especially in this time, they're scouting fucking 10-year-olds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah the cg the chl is trading nine-year-old so i guess he's yeah. not
1: that far off he's gonna be a mini tex with a scholarship to fucking like ohio state or some shit
0: <laughs> i'd love that you pad my wallet
1: yeah i mean hey the start the best job in the world is a starting pitcher so oh, i think so
0: four days off
1: hey you play every five there, days and you man. get 20 shmily a year it's not a bad, <laughs> not, not a bad gig. <laughs> okay. But um we got a pretty big episode this um this week, so we may as well get started. And um we got Gino uh well we're gonna start in uh, with some tough news out of the hockey world. Canuck's legend and just hockey legend overall. Gino Ojek. Um, unfortunately passes away at the age of 52. Um, He got diagnosed just under nine years ago with AL amyloidosis, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But it's a rare terminal disease that produces abnormal protein deposits in the heart, basically hardening the muscles, restricting its job to keep you alive. But he was a 5th round pick in the 1990 draft. He was basically Pavel Bure's security guard, but he was just powerful enforcer. He had 137 career points in 600 games, but he had 2500 penalty minutes. He was just um a great Tidbit here, he was a role model for the indigenous community. He won a sports award from Inspire. It's an indigenous national charity that invests in the education of First Nations, the NUI and Métis people. So he was just, he was the people's person. Um, he was a legend all around. Um, Brett, what was, um, how did you handle the news that... Um, Gino Ojek passed because I mean it was like taking information that he was that his time was up but it was just nobody was really going to be ready when the news broke so um, how did you feel when you found out about his unfortunate passing?
0: Yeah for sure sad news uh really sad news anytime a member of the hockey community passes and certainly early uh early at 52. Uh, to be completely honest, of course, like it's an important context for your listeners. Cause I know a lot of them are local, local Vancouver rights. Uh, I grew up in Calgary, so I'm from the Calgary market and I lived in the Winnipeg market for a couple of years. So, um, I don't know Gino Oljek as well as, as people who have been here their whole life, uh, might, but, uh, I'm familiar with the player familiar with his tough brand. I actually went and watched some of his scraps on YouTube this morning and, uh, yeah, that guy was a real handful out there. And actually, I was, it was his first NHL game. I was, what, what was that? Who did he fight? Stu Grimson. He fought two people in his first NHL game. and just <laughs> set, the, set the tone for the rest of his career. Um, but honestly, I was doing some research on him this morning, boys. And I, I remember him on the ice, but I was more blown away with just his commitment to this community. Like, like coming back to Vancouver and living here for the rest of his life and continuing to be invo- involved in indigenous activities. And I was reading that he managed like a golf academy. And he was just clearly really involved in this community. And this city left like, uh, obviously a lasting impression on him. So I totally understand why people are are pretty moved by uh, his passing around here and, and uh, mad respect for, for Gino, uh, the person as well as uh, as the hockey player.
1: Yeah, it's always a tough break, but hey, um I don't know if you as like you're kind of just breaking into like learning about hockey and just like everything, following it more and more. I'm not too sure if you have uh big enough knowledge on Gino, but if you've done research, how did you feel about just like the legend unfortunately passing? <clears throat> well, oh my god, frog my throat. <laughs> well, uh I actually remember
2: Very vividly of when he went into the hospital in like what 2014 15, somewhere around there for his like first instance with this sort of uh with this sort of thing, and it's just kind of like back then again wasn't a big hockey guy, I was like, oh, that sucks to hear. Um, but it wasn't like on my radar, you know. But now hearing the stories come out, and like how much of a like Brett was saying, just a giver in the community and especially in the first nations uh community that's just that's just a legend like a walking legend right there and for him to be taken away at an age of uh 52 is so tough like just for anyone to experience that uh let alone everyone in this community of vancouver so it it really sucks but also yesterday actually a lot of uh the radio i listened to is uh, c fox they were telling stories about him and all of that and even my mom was like uh did you hear who died pavel Burre's goon died and i'm like if that's how people remember him legend absolute legend
1: <laughs> yeah um it was yeah he's just a legend across and i'm more than happy to bring my my dad paul fave living legend of the left side heavy podcast but um dad i want to ask you um you've been you're obviously following the canucks for a just hockey in general when gino was at his peak for the canucks and he was you were living in um the legend of Gino Ojek uh how did you feel when you um heard the news break of um Ojek and like how did he kind of mean to you as a Canucks fan and hockey fan in general
3: um well I always I grew up I'm 60 years old so I uh, went through the 70s and 80s and I always appreciated a guy who uh, didn't choose his fights he fought everybody and um, nobody did that uh, quite like Gino. I mean, there was many tough guys, but nobody uh, nobody was uh, like him when it came to uh, doing what it took. Because I guess you have to have a, a fair degree of skill to get to the NHL in general. They just don't bring on fighters. But to get uh, some of that skill and to have the balls to fight everybody in an era of Fovut, Semenko, Ty Domi. All those guys. Um, and and just his uh, sense of humor. Uh, he quite a funny guy. I've heard a couple of funny stories I can share with you if you want about when we all got introduced to a guy like Gino Ojic. And uh, just so many heartwarming stories about what kind of man he was off the ice, too.
1: Uh, please share those stories if you're uh if you have the time and if you're able to share. I think we'd love it.
3: Well, my favorite uh, um, story of Gino and this was told. Uh, it either had to do with his coach, who Trevor Linden, and um, Gino's rookie year was when there was a conflict over in the Middle East uh, called the Gulf War. Right? I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. It was uh some. Guy who was the ruler, dictator, quite a bad man named Saddam Hussein. You can look him up on Wikipedia if you want. And he was doing some, he was a pretty evil dictator, and he was the leader of uh, Iraq. They invaded a country, and America went to war. And during Gino's rookie year, someone put a sign up at the Pacific Coliseum, Gino is tougher than Saddam. And Gino looked up and read the sign, and he turned to his coach and said, "What number, Saddam? I want to fight him."
4: <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing started killing themselves. <laughs> and
3: well, we heard that, I mean, we loved them all <laughs> to begin with, but <laughs> we loved them even more after that. Mm-hmm. And um, just the very fact that when he uh, his best friend was Pavel Bure. And when Pavel came, he was just uh, this young guy who was destined for stardom. And he could have had uh, the pick of the town when it came to people to hang around. And he was just drawn to Gino because Gino didn't really treat him special. He just treated him like a normal buddy. And Pavel picked up on that right away, I think. And there's probably guys out there that have got a few stories about that. But when got a, a guy like Pavel who probably got weighted on hand and foot because he was Pavel Bure. And he says, "No, nah, you know, I'll just hang with Gino and they were lifelong friends. And um, there was a, there was a time when Pavel had retired that he invited him over to Russia to play in this charity game. Right. Cause Gino wasn't a superstar, but he was his uh, best friend. So he said, okay, well, if you can get me over there and pick me up at the airport, I'll come, Pav. And so Pavel went from Vancouver to Toronto to Montreal, flew over to some other place in Europe, and then onward to the uh, to Russia, right? I guess he landed in uh, Moscow or whatever. And there was nobody there at the airport to pick him up. He had told uh, one of his Russian teammates fed us off to pick him up the airport and they forgot <laughs> so Gino's, Gino's at the airport according to the story he's got nowhere to go he doesn't know he doesn't know a thing to do he doesn't speak the language but one thing he remembered what pavel told him was that in russia the kgb knows everything about you right yeah they're like the secret police so he goes he flagged down a cab and he said uh take me to the kgb headquarters and the guy goes, no, you don't want to go there. And he goes, yeah, I do. I got a, I got a hockey game with Pavel Bure. And I don't know where he lives, but Pavel told me they know everything about everybody over here, so take me to the KGB headquarters. That guy dropped him off at the curb and took off. Gino went up to the front door of the KGB headquarters, and he banged on it. And this guy comes to the front door with a machine gun, <laughs> and he says, You guys know everything about everything. I need to know where
4: Pavel lives. (laughs) He goes, who? Pavel Bure, you dumb fucking. he goes, I'm here to play hockey with him. He says, you guys know
3: everybody over here. And they slammed the door and he banged it again. And the guy opened up and he says, I'm serious, man. You got to take me to Pavel's house. And he just started laughing. He says, go get get in here. (laughs) They knew who Pavel Bure was. He was like a star in they didn't know who Gino was, but any guy with the size of stones to come back
4: yeah. on the door. There's yeah. Gino. KGB uh, <laughs> headquarters.
3: <laughs> that
1: is, that's uh, insane.
4: You yeah. can
3: imagine how, uh, and like I said, man, boys, that guy fought everybody. And he had endurance. Yeah, I... Like all the great fighters, they could throw him, but they could throw him for a long time, so...
1: Yeah, you okay. can you can tell how much of like the impact he made on the league when every single fighter on Twitter and ev- any sort of media they can get their hands on that were paying their respects to Gino Ojek. So it's not like he was just a legend in the Vancouver community. He was a legend in the hockey community.
3: Absolutely. You know, good people make an impact wherever they go. And I think after he left, and you guys might be able to correct me on this, I think he went to the Islanders and then, Maybe a different yeah. team, and then he ended with Montreal. I think.
1: I think he had stints in yep. Detroit and Toronto, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, there was there was. I know I the others and then maybe he went to a different team, and then finally to Montreal. And you know, even the Habs put out a short blurb. You know, he was only with us for a bit, but uh, rest in peace, Gino. So I think he really made a, an impact. Hell, he even stopped by your. You're a game watcher. Yeah, I remember that. Piano. So, sounded like a really, uh, a really good guy and, uh, kind of glad that he started. And most of his eight out of 12 years were in Vancouver.
1: Yeah. Well, Dad, I really appreciate you coming on and, um, giving some stories about Gino ogic because we wanted to pay his respects because he was just a Vancouver legend and, um, just a legend to everyone else. And so, I really appreciate you, uh, phoning in and um well, i'm glad you have know, some stories
4: thanks for
3: reaching out to me and yeah you, every once in a while it's it's a shame that i have to remember a, a good chunk of my youth by a guy passing sometimes that's the way it goes when you get a little older you don't you don't really pay attention until the guy's gone and yeah. uh heard he was in poor health but uh now he doesn't have to go through that anymore so uh anyways thanks uh, thanks a lot for asking my opinion
1: Yeah, we'll uh, talk to you later, and thanks again.
4: Okay, okay, see you, boys.
1: See ya.
0: Adios. Yeah, kind of a just a friendly reminder of how fan bases will never forget those enforcers that protected their stars, right? Like, you know, I can think of a few too, where it's just like those players who you just you love them so much during that time, and they're so important to that team chemistry and that role as we. All know has changed so much, but like fan bases don't forget that, that kind of like commitment to their club, right? Like it's cool to see because we won't see that with some of like our current NHL generations. That role has just changed so much, but
1: yeah, because you you need those guys to have your stars back and stuff just to like keep the team together. Like if you got to protect your players, right? And you got to have someone that will go to war for anyone on the team and that's that builds chemistry and team morale so he it doesn't surprise me if and you always see in games like any fan base you watch and if there's an enforcer and they're fighting everyone they hit their top three players on the team at least 75 percent of them will have the top enforcer in their top three yeah because of how much they
4: feels yeah
1: just because of how much they make an impact uh like off the score sheet, right? Mm-hmm. They're a team you never really they're a player you never really want to lose. Like players like Alex Burrows, Maxime Lapierre, Rick Ripon, like those guys were huge for the Canucks, and everyone just loved watching them because of how much of a pain in the ass they were. So you need you <laughs> you need some of those guys, right? So yeah. Yeah, you really do. Hey, you
0: saw last year what happened when the Rangers didn't have any players like that and they got shoved around. Oh yeah. There's no one to stand up for that team and, and they went out and fixed it in the offseason. Like you still need those guys in the dressing room even even today. So
1: even even Tampa when they got pushed around in their um when they got swept by Columbus, they didn't really have any of those Bullies on the fourth mm-hmm. line. They had just a bunch of skill players, but they realized that playoff hockey is more than skill. They need they need those guys that are not going to get pushed around. Every and... year you see,
0: what the Pat Maroons, Corey Perry's, those yeah. guys that gravitate to those teams that have a chance to win, right? And that's why, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's super important. But anyway,
1: yeah, but um, rest in peace to Gino Ojek. Um, yeah. big at words as my dad ended off. It's. It's sad that he's gone, but I'm happy that he's no longer in pain and suffering anymore um, so rest in peace, Gino, thank you for blessing the Canucks with your presence and all the people outside of the hockey community the indigenous indigenous community, and just everywhere in general you you made a huge impact um for everyone, so rest in peace um and prayers up to the family but well uh. We'll stay with the Canucks, and we'll go to the darker side of the moon. Um, the drama surrounding this team has been terrible. Um, this management with Rutherford and Alvin was supposed to revive the Canucks and all the mistakes that Jim Benning um, had put his name on. But in hindsight, it's almost looking like to not be Jim Benning's fault at all, it's more so the guy up top. Francesco Accolini has started to build a reputation that he is the reason why this team is in the steepest downfall in maybe franchise history. I think this is the worst situation we have ever been in, um, just in terms of team expectations to team performance to um, contract situation, salary cap situation. Mismanaging players, assets, development, the whole nine yards. I think we're going in the completely wrong direction with the wrong mindset as well. But overall, Hayden, I'm going to start with you without going too deep into the specifics of what we are going to get into, which is the Jim Rutherford press conference. We come on to this podcast every single week and we usually do a quick 15 to 20 minute recap of the Canucks week of games Mm -hmm. i'm not even going to touch that because (laughs) i'm just not even going to bother because i think this one can basically summarize everything i mean we had a massive win against carolina comeback win we almost came back against tampa two great back-to-back games yeah i'll give them credit against two top of the league teams teams we really had no business winning but we almost as it was great games from our guys that's a quick Two minute roundabout our week, and that's what I'm leaving it at. But this press conference and all the drama surrounding it, it takes that away. But without going into specifics, what have been your thoughts on everything surrounding this organization just in the past couple of weeks? As heavy uh, of a question that is, but yeah,
2: no the the past couple of weeks. I mean, what sums it up more, other than the fact that it's a dumpster fire? Like, there's there's bad bad badly managed teams and then there's the Canucks you know what I mean (laughs) like we've hit a new low into the point where if we're not even talking about the whole Rutherford like press conference because that was a fucking joke the only like the only good thing about this is like we have a couple good players (laughs) (laughs) and and even that is in question but I I Without trying to, like, get it back into one thing, I did have one more thing about, like, the Gino chick thing. And Please. with the win in Carolina, Ethan Bear when he scored, he said something pretty touching about that. Yeah. It's like, I felt like he was with me.
1: Because mm-hmm. he scored, like, seconds or minutes after the after it was Gino's death. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that, I don't know, but, like, that kind of
2: just gave me, gave me chills, right? About, yeah that that was the one thing but other
1: than that because because I do want to say cuz Ethan Bear is um I'm not 100% sure He's part of um, the indigenous Yeah, community. he's part of the indigenous community. I'm not 100% sure what exactly he is, but um mm-hmm. obviously Gino Ojek has been a massive mentor in his life. Yes. So that is yeah. what makes it so touching. Um but yeah, carry on Hayden. But like I don't want to try and stir that
2: in with how much of a shit pile that the Canucks are right now, but at least there was that sort of like that that beautiful moment in this fucking pile of trash (laughs) that we are that we are putting ourselves to watch two and a half hours of our life (laughs) every other night it seems like. Yeah. And no answers. No answers, just more questions.
1: Yeah, it was basically like yes, we fucking know. You said that at the beginning of the year, but but what about you, Brett? Um just everything surrounding. We kind of touched on it yesterday um leaving class, but you like you mentioned you came from Winnipeg and Calgary and stuff like that. So you're just kind of breaking yourself into this Vancouver market. Um <laughs> you're 2 years into it. So you're basically you are starting from the fucking bottom in the Vancouver market because I don't think it can get much worse than this. Yeah. I think Uh, I
0: kind of entered the hornet's nest a little bit.
1: (laughs) When it's pissed off.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Which is, uh, it is, it is honest, honestly, it's a unique perspective because, uh, because like I said, like I do uh, grow up in Calgary and obviously those fan bases can't stand each other. <laughs> 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 I have lots of uh, really good uh, Canuck friends and and Calgary Flame fam, uh, friends, but of course they just can't stand each other. But I think the one thing that comes to my mind is just unprecedented. I've just never seen anything like it. Um you know, like I lived through the Jay Feaster dark days uh, when I was in Calgary and he was incompetent and there was challenges getting out of that, but I've really never seen anything like this. I just think that all the layers of it from the top of the organization to the head coach, to the on ice, to the contracts, like it's just totally unprecedented on so many levels and we'll peel back the onion a little bit here because I certainly have some opinions on on some of the the nitty gritty things, but, um, I've just never seen anything like it. And, um, I'm legitimately curious, really intensely curious about the deadline and like all the writing is on the wall that there's going to be some tectonic shifts happening. And I'm genuinely curious to see, uh, what those end up being because this market is, is frothing at the mouth and, um, the, the bright lights are even brighter. So, Let's see what happens.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to start by saying this is, this is where I want to start off. Um, justice for Bruce Boudreaux, because in no way does someone deserve what he's going through. Yeah. He is being used as the scapegoat for a poorly put together franchise and team. Um, he has been on the job for no longer than 13 months. Um and now he is being labeled as the reason why this team has been shit. And he is still the coach while they're talking about replacing him, mm-hmm. which I think is completely unfair to him. It's unprofessional. In no situation should someone ever um go through that. Um, I'm not too sure if it was after practice, post game media, whatever, um or just media availability on an off day. But he was asked the question about the rumors surrounding him and his job. And he said, I'm just waking up and doing my job until they tell me not to. And if you listen to him, maybe I'll put the clip within the audio and the video, like within the podcast, but he just sounded so defeated. And it sounded like he was completely clocked out of this team and how this team is ran. Um. The rumor surrounding the Canucks is that Rick Tockett is to be replacing him. Uh, Rick Tockett has connections with Rutherford and Alvin from their Pittsburgh days. When I think Tockett was an assistant coach to Biles Mars Sullivan, one of the two, not too sure. But I think this is incredibly unfair for Boudreaux. I think he's being used as a scapegoat. I think there's plenty more wrong that are in front of his coaching. But, Brett, I'll go to you first. Um, what have been your opinions on this whole talk it in for Boudreau um, rumor mill while Boudreau is still coaching the team?
0: Well, I think it's just cruel to, to Bruce. I think it's just unprofessional and cruel, and I think you can see it in his body language. You can hear it in his rhetoric when he speaks to the media. The one thing that I'll say about it, and I think it's just so Bruce Boudreaux in in a good way, you know, he's always been a bit of a warrior coach, right? He doesn't look like the atypical hockey coach. He's had a really successful career and just his like ability and willingness to keep showing up for work, like that quote indicated and all hockey fans are witnessing what's going on. And again, I've never seen anything like this. It's very unprecedented, like what's going on with the Canucks right now, where I feel like Bruce's stock is actually increasing in the public eye, like in the hockey fan's eye. Everyone sees going on like this and they're kind of like, they're siding with Bruce because he's not a bad coach. He's swimming way upstream. And I've just never seen anything like it where the team and the organization are, are have significant issues to overcome. But this head coach that's on the precipice of being fired, it actually feels like, like his value is, is increasing somehow throughout yeah. this month. Um, And I think that that's just like a fascinating little like circumstance in all this craziness, because I really like Bruce Boudreau and the players are still playing for him. And I think that's the one thing. And uh, I was watching football, but I went back and watched um, the highlights of the Canucks uh, Hurricanes game. And those players are playing real hard for Bruce. And that that's the proof in the pudding. That's all I need to see. Like that speaks volumes to me. So it's um, this is a bigger issue, and uh, I'll pass it back to you, boys. But it's just it's just cruel. <laughs> like, oh.
1: yeah, Hayden. Um, do you think like because we Canucks brought on Mike Yo as an assistant, who has been a head coach prior many times. He's not hasn't doesn't have the best track record of being a head coach. But a lot of people were saying because Boudreau was coming into this season without a contract for next season, because um, they wanted to see how he'd play out before they extended him. They a lot of people were saying they brought in Mike Yo just in case Boudreau wouldn't last, that they could just he could be the interim until they find a replacement. That's what a lot of people's theories were. Do you think that? They should just rip the bandaid off with Boudreau instead of keeping him in the situation and then put Yo as the interim tag until they bring in talk it, or what's your opinion on what they should be doing instead of what they're doing now? Everyone in
2: upper management uh should just fuck off for even thinking of that um and it's gonna be like what Ian says, man. Accolini just has to sell the team, sell it to someone who actually gives a shit. Like this is a brain. Yeah. This, this is terrible. Like you're just, we we sound like a broken record, but every time something new comes out with how mismanaged this team is. And like Brett was saying, to blame it on like all of it on Boudreau and to try and use him as a scapegoat is just not the way to do this. You can see these players, are playing for bruce like people like bruce <laughs> and everyone's just saying oh yeah bruce is the problem no it's not he's not the problem the problem is the fact that we have oliver ekman larson taking up a huge fucking chunk of our salary cap and he's not even a top 20 defenseman
1: dude he got health like, ever Anyone getting paid seven and a half should not be getting health bombed. Like, no,
2: no, like, yeah. Why? Why was he scratched? And then, like, even um, when you sent like that uh that picture in Messenger, and it's like Bo Horvat was gonna get scratched, right? He didn't, though, right?
4: Because I saw he, him playing that night. He
1: didn't get scratched. He was on the um pregame healthy scratch list, but oh. I don't know what that really entailed. Um, a lot of people were thinking maybe there's a trade setup with the two of them, but I think it was just uh maybe he was, um, not maybe he was a we game time something. decision, yeah, yeah. game time decision, maybe minor illness, something, but he ended up playing.
2: Yeah, no, it, which thank God, but like, no, he, he... <laughs> it's just such a facepalm, man. And yeah. I, like Ian said last week. You can't take anything that connects too seriously until something of higher management, even higher higher than management changes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. us three are gonna come back seven days from now and there's gonna be another bomb dropped on Vancouver, and it's gonna be like, Well, what the fuck is this?
1: <laughs> or it's just gonna be the same old fucking report we've been hearing for the past six months exactly and well i think the reason
0: there's like the fan base in particular is so fed up with it is because it really feels like this has been a coordinated attack from the get-go right right from the season opening presser there's been this the dialogue surrounding the head coach has been right from the get-go and i'm just willing to bet that rutherford was told to push it in that direction right from the get-go. They were hedging their bets right from the get-go in my humble opinion that something like this would happen and they needed a face to put in front of it right from the season opening presser. And it was just like a bad look from the get-go and they left themselves no room for for any further error. It was just, uh, it, it was a bad right from the onset. So oh, no, yeah. the fruits of the happening. <laughs>
1: Because <laughs> you think about like people are saying we should get a president of hockey ops because I think things are being handled much better when Lyndon was involved and he said we should rebuild we should make it a slow rebuild to do this properly. Ekelin said no, they parted ways, and then after much needed like a much needed president of hockey ops, Ekelin like we're gonna take our time in finding the right person. Fucking like twenty hours later, we're hiring Jim Rutherford because all this smoke is coming out on. That Canucks and like how all these questions. And I'm sure Aquilini did it because he didn't want to be facing the media. Because he even knows that his he's just a terrible look. And then throws Rutherford into the fire, makes him answer all the questions. Where the fuck is Alvine and all this shit too? He's the general manager. He should be answering these questions as well. But he's nowhere to be fucking found. Right? I'm guarantee you. Next game we'll see him in the press box doing absolutely fuck all nothing. like there's just so much shit going on but I want to go over some of these points here because we can talk about this one topic for the entire podcast but um (laughs) post game against Tampa Bay if I'm not mistaken or it was it was the game before Tampa Bay um Hughes on the Pearson injury after news came out that he will be out for the remainder of the season when he got hurt on November 9th versus Montreal and he was projected to be out four to six weeks He is projected to have a third surgery on his hand and is now out for the season. And Hughes' words said, Hughes, who, one, is not, um, he doesn't necessarily speak out in the media. He's very to himself, very blunt answers, doesn't really give much. But he dropped the bomb in Hughes' perspective that the whole situation was not handled correctly. Now, Jim Rutherford then started an investigation with the NHLPA and the health and safety of the NHL and stuff like that. But what are your thoughts on the comments towards Pearson's injury not being handled and this weighing down the organization on top of everything? Hayden, I'll start with you. There was so much shit about the management. I totally forgot the whole
2: mismanagement of uh, fucking player's health. Yeah. Like there's reports saying that he might not even play next year. Because yeah. of how many surgeries he'll need. Like this is yeah, no. <laughs> Fucking kill me now, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I hate it. You can go immediately to Brett with this because yeah. I am done with this shit <laughs> yeah.
0: well i think it's just to me it speaks to the culture right like if you have a player whose reputation is to not do something like this uh and they're electing to go to the media as their channel to voice their frustrations that's a culture issue right because he's not he's chosen not to go through the proper channels internally, internally to try and deal with that because he doesn't have faith in them Right. So to me, that's a, that's the biggest issue that the Canucks have is now this is a cultural issue within the organization. And, and we talking about the presser now, Jim was asked about that. Like, do you think you're going to have a hard time signing guys? And he said, no, but the answer is yes. You've yeah. got a culture problem. So you can't sit there and say that you're going to be, be able to sign big fish in the free agent market players are chatting <laughs> everyone knows and are, is chatting about this kind of stuff and quinn is is talking to, to his buddies on other teams and they've got an issue on that front so it's a culture problem and Hughes just shone a light on it and so we'll see what happens but it's a big problem
4: yeah
1: um let's uh we'll go over a few more quotes that um rutherford bomb then we can kind of all talk about it um he said a few things, um, saying as of the beginning of the year, the team needs minor surgery, and then he then upped um, the quote, saying the team now needs a major surgery. Which, um, like,
0: there's so much irony baked in, baked into that based on what's going on. They like, only added like-
1: to the fire. <laughs> <laughs> like, this team needs minor surgery, and then they continue to sign JT Military, an eight-year extension, eight mil a year, and then Besser to a $6 million per year, and then not trading, not even trading Miller, not trying to trade Myers, not trying to trade Oel, like Pearson before he was hurt. Like they didn't, they signed McKeever as well to a four-year, like five million dollar a year. Like, yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, Rutherford continued to said to say that he doesn't want to put this team into a rebuild he would rather try and retool on the fly which is exactly the fucking opposite of what we need we tried retooling three times in the past decade and that hasn't worked at all um he says that the team can turn it around in no more than three years which is a fucking lie uh there's just so much that needs to happen our way without giving up any picks and buying out really bad contracts its going to fuck us for much longer down the road um, in order for us to turn around in three years. So that's not going to happen. Um, according to them, they gave Horvat their best offer. Um, they might give it one last kick at the can, but they're not too sure how that's going to handle because he feels that they gave Horvat what they think is fair for what he's done as a Canuck, but it's under market for what he's done this year. Which Which to me doesn't fucking make sense at all. If anything, you just probably offered him like six million dollars a year because that's all (laughs) the cap space we have.
0: What player doesn't (laughs) want their current
1: year to count? It's so dumb. (laughs) Guy has thirty goals at the All Star game, and it literally doesn't make sense. Like, how does we gave him what's fair for as a Canuck, which has been like what the three. Previous years have been, like, 35-goal paces. And then this year, he's at 30 goals at the halfway point. But they're like, it's under market for this year? Like, I don't know. I don't really get it. Um, The one thing I'll give Rutherford credit is that he didn't beat around the bush for any of the answers. Like, he gave – he answered questions. It's just, like, nothing's fucking changed. But, like, he did – try to give honest questions. He said he was disappointed with what he's done so far. So at least he's kind of owning up to (laughs) some of the shit. But, like, disappointed, like, at least he's acknowledging that he's done a shit job since he's come in. He hasn't changed anything. He's made it worse. But, like, the team is fucked. We're stuck in no man's land. We're not going to be able to rebuild. He says we want the first overall pick, but we don't want to rebuild. Like... He literally said that. He's like, of course we want the first overall pick. Out of all years, this is the year you want it. And then, like, two seconds earlier, he was like, yeah, we don't want to rebuild. We'd rather retool. It's like, you can't get the first overall pick retooling, you dick. Like, (laughs) figure it out. The guy has a cement for a skull. It's It's um... like
2: my knowledge right now. Like, he has my knowledge of how the NHL works, (laughs) and it's like, this is how it should do it it's like no (laughs) even
0: i know i mean again i just can't help but think that he's being restricted in what he can
1: actually do one one thousand percent he said that this is the last point i'll i'll have two more points then i'll let it over to you guys um they said they're trying to work on an extension for kuzmenko which if the numbers are correct i wouldn't hate kuzmenko has been a star for us mm. um Best case scenario, we trade him as a rental, and then he signs, re-signs in Vancouver because I I think he loves it here. I think he loves it like Vancouver, not maybe the organization, but I think he just likes the place. Um, but he also, oh, it slipped my head. I can't remember what I was gonna say now.
2: Okay, well let me ask a question because I saw that yeah, who's Manko stuff. They were looking at him being a potential for an AAV of $6 million a year. Six to seven is what I saw, right? Mm-hmm. So do we think it's another better situation? Because he's shining his first year, and then he gets this. What's it going to look like his second year? Do we think it's different? Personally, I, I think it's different. But what about you guys?
1: I personally think there are two different types of players, but I'll let Brett uh, speak on it first.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting comp. Um, that's an interesting comp. I agree. They're, I think they're different. I think their styles of play are just a little – not total apples and oranges, but I think a little hard to truly make that comp. Red apples to green apples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, honestly, though, like, the comparison to Besser aside, if they get this deal done – right now that's a win like that's a pr win right now so Mm. i think in to in my opinion if they if they find a way to get this worked out at a palatable cap hit amidst all of this and they can secure something that they like going forward amidst all this kind of shitstorm, i think that'd be a huge pr win so uh, I hope it comes to fruition. I hope that they're focusing a lot of their attention on that because clearly Bo, like, that's stagnant. So mm-hmm. I'd love to see them accomplish this because this it would be a win off the, off the ice, which, like, is so desperately needed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely agree. I um, About the comparable, I truly think that Kuzmenko can kind of create more on his own. So I would trust him with Besser's contract more than Besser with his own contract, if that makes any sense. Yeah, um, he's a
0: little less reliant on just his shot.
1: Yeah, right? like because like, Manko has mm-hmm. speed, he has quickness, and like he can kind of stop on a dime, turn on a dime. He's a little, he's just quicker. I, I think his shot is like the exact same as Besser's, if not better now, because I think Besser with injuries and stuff like that has kind of unfortunately derailed a little bit. I will give Besser some credit, though. I will give him some flowers. He's been showing a lot more dynamic ability the past couple games, like driving the net and getting to the dirty areas. But I just trust Kuzmenko more on a consistent basis. If Besser's not scoring a goal, it's more than likely he's invisible, whereas Kuzmenko's kind of shown that he can kind of stand out a bit more. Yeah. But what would you guys be happy with a contract for Kuzmenko? He's 26 right now, turning 27 this year. What's something you would be happy with giving him?
2: I mean, I think the six to seven million AAV for like six years. Like, and then he'll be like 32. And let's say he keeps up. Vancouver's kind of in a place where it's like, okay, maybe our window's passed. We'll give him now to someone who will take on the last two years of his contract if need be. So you get at least four solid years of him. If you can get that done, I I think that that'd be a huge one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think I'd be comfortable with something along those lines. It's kind of like a bridge deal, but it's a strange timing for the player because he's a little later in his. Yeah, he's twenty six, so you know, like it, so he's mm. kind of like. I'm sure the organization would love to give him something a little more bridgey like that, but I'm sure the agent and the, their camp is thinking, "Well, shoot, like he's going to be over thirty on the back half of this deal. Let's get as much cash up front as we can." But, you know, it speaks to the one thing that I think Rutherford is onto, to and it's like a league-wide thing that all management knows is they're banking on the cap going up. Um, like, obviously, a lot of teams are banking on the on the cap going up. What well, I think in his presser, he projected like 90 to 95. Um, which, is like, tw- which is like $12 million. Yeah, I mean, that's lofty and that's not guaranteed, right? Like, you can't yeah. operate like that's a sure thing Um, but I mean I one thing I will say is it's encouraging to hear that they're like even with the JT Miller contract like they are playing for like they're not totally short-sighted in the sense that they are you know anticipating this expanded cap you know circumstance and I hope this deal plays into that as well because if you're no matter what if it's a rebuild or a retool Jim's not wrong to say that you do need good players who are going to show up and still perform and get a few fans into the building as well. Yeah. So something in that range for for uh, Kuzmenko, I, I'd be happy with anything closer to six. Would yes, be
1: yeah, my, <laughs> I agree. My <laughs> ideal contract for him, because I think I saw the same reports from like Pierre LeBron, who's a very trusted insider, is that they think that any start to a Kuzmenko negotiation for a contract extension, the number is going to start with six. In terms of AAV, my hopeful thing is um, five years, like six and a half million dollars a year. That would be something I'd be really happy with. Um, mm-hmm. I think anything over five is something I wouldn't be too ecstatic about and maybe midload it where he's not making a ton off this hop. He's making most of his money in the twenty eight to 30 range and then not making as much in his last year kind of thing but yeah that's something I'd be happy with I wouldn't be if the package is right if we can get like a first round pick or something like that I would be open to trading him because I think we need to build our prospects and draft capital and we need to put our pieces in the right areas. And right now we need to build our prospect pool because it's terrible right now. And I think if the offer's right, trade them. But if not, then I think a five year deal, at no more than seven um, would yeah. be, I'd be happy with.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of clubs are finding themselves with these tough like evaluations when a player has like rapidly break broken out and, like, you see players like Tage Thompson where you can see that, like, if it hits and that breakout is sustainable, you look like such a genius, right? Yeah. But there is that chance where it's 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 just a kind of not a flash in the pan, but just it doesn't – it's just the unknown of running <laughs> a sports organization like this. But I think they have to invest in this kind of player. Like, they can't, they can't not at this junction.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. But uh we'll um we'll branch off the Canucks right now because there's gonna be a lot more news that comes out. But it's just we're in I think we're in the worst spot of all time where the management is a dumpster fire, like Hayden said, the coaching situation surrounding Boudreaux. And it's not like we're the Blackhawks, we're like we're almost a sure fire for Bedard. We're in no man's land. We're like we'll go on two game heaters, five game skid, win loss, win loss two-game skid, four-game win streak. Like, we can't find a direction where we want to go, which is so frustrating as a fan. Before the New York Rangers started popping off, they sent a letter. I think Chris Drury sent a letter to their fan base, posted on social media. This is our plan. We're going in a full rebuild. We're going to suck for the next two years. Be prepared because this is our plan. We want to rebuild for the future. And now they're one of the top teams in the league.
4: Mm-hmm. They built
1: their prospects pool and now everything's flourishing, right? Yeah. They traded for Pretty young cool. guys and kind of bet on them for cheap. But the Canucks, Aquilini's one year of a two round playoff run, one round playoff revenue is more important than five years of consistent playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's Real super quick. frustrating.
0: One thing I wanted to throw in just really quickly because I was so blown away by it the, uh, the presser with the two doctors. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that, where an organization is bringing doctors up to like, defend this situation. The whole thing I found so strange. It's a spicy media environment. Like they're, the questions are hot and these doctors are jar- given jargony, like process oriented responses that no one cares about. Like they weren't answering any questions why even, ha- why even do that? Yeah. You know, like I don't understand the purpose of it. Like it was, if you're going to do that, at least have them give us some information that we care about. Yeah. You know? And the only other thing point I was going to make is it's just so it's just the like byproduct of this circumstance, but like Tanner Pearson, isn't the first injury to be misdiagnosed in pro sports, right? Like this is not, this does happen from time to time. Like these injury timelines are not set in stone, but yet again, I've never seen a response. And obviously something funny happened here. So it's not like unjust, but it's just like, I don't know, being a saints guy, like I think of Michael Thomas and like how many, changes to his injury timelines and there's never been like this visceral response from a fan base because it's just like the expectations for honesty and truth and like what you just alluded to with the Rangers this fan base fan base is like like begging for it and they're just not giving it and it's I would
1: I would rather just them say we're going to suck for 5 years we're going to try to get picks and we're going to not necessarily intentionally tank, but we're not going to try and win. If we win games, fine, but we're going to build towards the future. Chicago literally set their barn on fire. They're they like, we want to rebuild, but they went on to trade Debrinkat. The they traded Doc. They yeah. just they offloaded their pieces because they're like, look, they're valuable right now, and we're going to waste six years of them. Yeah. And then once we're good, they're either going to want out or they're not going to be as valuable anymore. Yeah. We're going to trade them now. Get picks. Whatever.
0: They're so committed to their rebuild that they're keeping exactly. NHL-ready prospects
1: down. 100%. Like they're, we're
0: ready. We're, we're like- <laughs> yeah.
1: And Canucks just... Aquilini needs to bite the bullet, forget about his old mindset of wanting one year of a playoff run, and we need to smarten the fuck up and just offload right yeah. now. In my opinion, the only untouchables are Patterson and Hughes. I think we have to, we, you need some building blocks and I think Patterson. If you want
0: to get uh, like a king. like defensemen are so important. I mean, I'd even say cut it off at, at, at Elias and at yeah. a Patterson is the one, you know, cause Quinn might be the w- one that could get you the package that that you need to yeah. to actually hit, hit a reset he's the yeah. one player at a primo position
1: that could maybe do it yeah but. and so who knows but it's yeah it's just terrible um I just hate <laughs> I just hate being in like no man's land I'd rather be yeah just like just go to the bottom but um Rio I, I want to stay in the Pacific because I think the Seattle Kraken need their flowers and I'm not saying that they haven't been getting it. They have been getting it. But I would—I just want to add more flowers to the bouquet. Because they just went on to become the first NHL team in NHL history to sweep a road, um, a road trip of seven-plus games. They won every single game. They handed the Boston Bruins their first regulation loss of the season at home. Which is crazy, and and in a shutout fashion, Martin Jones has been unbelievable. This Eli tolvenin kid, who they picked up off waivers from Nashville, twenty two teams, Hayden, twenty two teams passed over this kid, and he has seven points in nine games with five goals. Maddie Beniers is playing with his. He's tripping over his hog right now. It's he's just playing <laughs> unfucking believable. Jared McCann, former yeah. Canuck, yeah, yeah, yeah. is a franchise player for them. Yeah. Burakovsky, Schwartz, Everly, like their Ever- pieces are playing so well. And like, what have been your thoughts on? Like, I have my notes here. You saw the Kraken are cracked out right now because they're <laughs> just they're playing. Correct. fully like they're electric <laughs> right now but Hayden what would be your thoughts on just the new surrounding Seattle because they've taken a massive jump from last year
2: yeah no it's huge it's kind of it's kind of funny because last year we were saying oh yeah Seattle probably not gonna get you know get it going for a couple years they're a new team Vegas was lucky no <laughs> Seattle Seattle is doing it right they they made everyone think they had nothing but then they've done so much off-season work their management is so much better than anyone else's in the league and their players are playing like for each together. other they're yeah, yeah exactly they're all playing like they know they've known each teammate from like a childhood friend you know what i mean they just have that yeah. connection yeah. and nothing Nothing that Seattle has done has been so bad this year where it's a distraction. Everything that they've done is good. They started off slow, which is completely true, but they have been, like you said, they've been on an absolute heater. First and only team to ever win a uh, seven-game road streak. Like, that's fucking incredible. Yeah. (laughs) You don't often
1: see that, like, at all. Like, even a three-game road trip, you rarely see a sweep happen exactly
0: so, well it's usually baked into what a coach like the coach speak right like even if you go 500 on a tough road trip at some points in the season that's viewed as a successful road trip right to come in oh yeah and sweep it all away is 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 nuts and the what that does to a locker room like heading oh towards god the, the, you know the push here i mean you just feel like you're invincible right like uh that's a that's a cool story right now with the crack and the one thing that pops out with the Kraken though is like their <laughs> their shooting percentage is really high right now like
1: and they're like their goals for is really good but their goals against isn't the best either
0: like I I I, I want to see the Kraken come playoff hockey because I think they're looking like a really good regular season team right now who can shoot the puck uh really well and the, the sticks are hot right now so I want to see what the Kraken look like when the sticks cool off a bit and they get into a seven-game series with someone. I think that's when we'll really get a sense of yeah. of what they look like. But I love these kind of stories where like the fourth line is scoring just as much as the second line, and you've got this even distribution. Uh, I love those kind of teams. Yeah, stories.
1: like Daniel Sprung on Seattle. If I'm, I'm pretty sure that's his name. He has 26 points, 13 goals, 13 assists as a fourth liner. like what the fuck?
0: Oh, that must just be the tightest locker room. Oh, it's it's, just, uh, you know, great.
1: And you know what they have? They have a wicked home crowd, wicked fan base. No, I, if uh, climate pledge arena is approaching the top of the list in terms of the NHL of last places, I want to play as a home, as a, as a road team. Like they're just absolutely insane. And they have cap space. Yeah. So the deadline it's no surprise that Horvat is a link to Seattle. Cause why wouldn't you want to add him to your team?
0: Yeah. Jordan Eberle is the oldest dude on that team.
1: He's like what? 28. I don't even <laughs> yeah. know, but like, <laughs> he's probably in his thirties, but I, I don't know. He's in his know, early
0: thirties but... now. I actually went to a uh, university with his wife, Lauren. Um, so he's around the same age as, <laughs> as, as, me, I think, which ages me a bit, but uh yeah, man, like that team is young and like ready to rock and roll for like yeah. years to come. Like, what a fun spot to be in with money in your pocket, entering, uh, you know, the trade deadline.
1: <laughs> and they're and they're doing this all without their number four overall pick, Shane Wright. Like he's developing in the minors, like they're supposed to.
0: Yeah, and they like, were criticized yeah. for how they handled him earlier on, but now it's again like Ronnie Francis.
1: Well, I mean, they did handle him incorrectly. I think they shouldn't have scratched him for six games. They should have just either given him more minutes or sent him down. I th- I still think they handled it poorly, but at least they sent him down and they didn't just totally. keep like, him up here not playing. Exactly, like the
0: arc of their plan was still like, yeah. in the right place. Yeah,
1: <laughs> they they just I think should have acted on it quicker. Um, yeah, I don't disagree with that. But uh, no, Seattle is just I'm I hate it because of the newfound Canucks rivals, but I'm looking forward to see if they can continue, um, what they're doing going forward because who knows maybe they with their goaltending woes maybe maybe they trade for like someone like Marc-Andre Fleury or someone with some playoff experience for a run or maybe strengthen up their decor a little bit right like there's always someone who approaches um, the like trade bait board at the deadline maybe McDonough isn't doing the greatest in Nashville. Maybe they take a sweep for him. He's was vital to Tampa Bay's playoff run. So Seattle, like, they're in a good spot. They're they're riding the hot hand. They're riding their hot hand right now and going into the deadline. It's just like it's a prime position to add to what's already been a strong team this year. For
3: sure.
1: So it's going to be really interesting to see how they uh continue this great season for them. Because I mean also the Pacific, not the strongest division. So this is a very good opportunity to cement their spot in this division. Right. And like not have to worry about their wild card spot. Like with Calgary and Edmonton really performing below expectations. The only one they're really fighting for, I feel, is Vegas.
4: Yeah.
1: Canucks are out of the fucking picture. There's no there's a chicken dick's chance we even sniff the playoffs. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm really looking forward to what they do um a few contracts here um young matthew boldy for the minnesota wild who's in this final year of his entry-level contract signs a seven by seven um seven years seven million dollars aav 49 million dollars overall he has 29 points in 42 games hayden lately we've been seeing this more team's betting on their players and giving them massive contracts out of their ELC, no more of this bridge deals and then big contracts. You saw it in Drake Batherson, Josh Norris, Tim Stutzel, Jack Hughes. Like you're seeing it more and more. Um, you We didn't even see this out of Petterson and Hughes. Like we just saw bridge deals from them and then Hughes signed on bigger. How do you think – how do you feel about um, – Matthew Boldy signing this big of a contract and just like the young kids out of their ELC signing these big contracts right away.
2: The scariest part is just it's an entry-level contract and it's that much money given to a youngster. Yeah. Like, uh, I, great for them. They have the talent, but do they have the mental capacity to handle that much money at such a young age you know what i mean like i don't think i don't think you or i jev could handle that much money without at least like blowing uh, a lot of it in a day
1: i would do a lot of questionable things (laughs)
2: exactly and (laughs) And you know what like even even you brent like i don't know how much we could so i hope i hope i hope they have um the right people to kind of you know, talk them through this amount of money. I'm sure they do if they're you know, obviously going to be making making it big in the NHL but we see a lot of dumb people with too yeah. much money these days and then they just ruin their career and then the team looks like an idiot because they're like, oh, how did you not see his character play out like this? And it's like, well, fuck, we just toss all of our money at a, tw- a 25 or under year old, you know, it's it's scary but uh congrats for for him you know he's he's playing lights out
0: yeah yeah he's a great player i love matt boldy i have him in my dynasty league dauber hockey was on him you know the last couple of years as a high-end prospect so i picked him up and now the proof isn't like he looks he looks really good out there the wild are funny though right because they're they're kind of like preparing for parise those two contracts to come off the books. Like they're, they're somehow still ultra competitive with all this like ridiculous money. And they're still going out and signing a kid for big money for seven years. So the wild, I like their approach. Like Bill Guerin is just like, he, uh, I think he they're like, out there he's aggressive, man. Like he's an aggressive dude with, with how he runs that club.
1: They're a better, they're smarter and better ran team. They're a smarter and better ran Canucks. They're always yeah. mid, they're always middle yeah. of the pack, but they have smart people at the top where we have dumb people at the top.
0: And they're doing what they can. They're trying to prepare to get out of those contracts, right? Yeah. Like, trying. They can see the light now. But uh, I'm, I'm just blown away that the Wild are as competitive as they are. They shouldn't be as yeah. competitive as they and are. And
1: I honestly, like, I like the mentality of betting on your stars young. Um, I think it's kind of smart. Um, because like you said, they're probably anticipating the cap going up by a decent margin. So if mm-hmm. you can get these guys at a decent price before they're asking for nine, mm-hmm. ten million dollars, because I they think a, look
4: real smart. Yeah, because
1: I think a player like Boldy, two years, this contract might be one of the best in the NHL. He might be an 80-90 yeah. point kid, and he's only making seven million dollars a year. Right? Like That's, Jack Jack yeah. Hughes is making Eight, nine million dollars, he's like an eighty, ninety point guy. Tim Stutzel is coming into his own. Drake is coming into his own. Josh Norris was having a really good year before he got hurt.
0: Love Josh Norris, like,
1: yeah. So like I I like the idea of betting on these young guys if they've shown what they can do. And I think Boldy at the start of the year, he probably would have won rookie of the year last year if he played a full season. But he came into the season really late. Yeah, so he did. and he turned it up immediately and he had a really good start. He's kind of fallen off a bit, but like I I I I can get behind signing these rookies um mm-hmm. big quick. But uh another one, Pavel Zaka sends a four year ninety million dollar extension with Boston. He has seven goals, twenty one assists in forty three games this year. He was gonna be a UFA this year. I think he's decent depth signing. He's exploded in Boston bound I think every single player on that team has exploded this year. So I can understand it as like a depth piece. He's pretty good two way forward. So um, shout out to him. Uh, some little injury updates here. Uh, Evander Kane could make his return tonight. We are recording here on uh, Tuesday evening. Evander Kane could make his return versus the Kraken on Tuesday. Quick turnaround for Yo, that's the insane degree. of injury he had. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No I mean, like a, a skate slice almost to the bone and he's, I thought he would. I know. I. I think this is right on track for what his timeline was, but it just—it's hard to believe that he could turn around this quick.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's impressive, and Oilers will welcome him. Welcome him back. They'll uh, probably change how they calibrate their trade deadline too once he gets back.
1: Yeah. So once like, he... yeah. Um, Hayden, you have McDavid in fantasy, so you followed <laughs> the Oilers a lot. Um, a decent amount. Sure. They've do. been. Playing way below expectations this year, like they, super below expectations. They've they're probably given like a C minus grade in terms of how the how it's gone. Evander Kane added so much to that offense. Yes, they, they it gave them the flexibility of splitting up Drysidle and McDavid. Yep. don't have to front load their offense so much. How much do you think this will inflate their scoring? Ooh, and helping man. them win games. I can tell you what if Kane comes back tonight
2: uh i can just see mcdavid having like another big night he mcdavid obviously is mcdavid right like he will have those big nights and even uh last time edmonton played Jeff, when i was talking to you and it's like i had 24 points on the day and mcdavid had 26 or something like that and it's like well, that's just not right. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's like he still creates, even though he doesn't have one of his top line mates, and you know he it it's fully rotated with uh, with Hyman and you know other pieces, and then sometimes Dryside will make his uh, make a line appearance with McDavid, but it's not super consistent as it was at the start of the year when McDavid was putting up at least uh an assist and a goal almost every other night and yeah no it's it, it's gonna be good and hopefully uh you know Edmonton can kind of build with this and then say hey maybe maybe we should really try and trade Darnell nurse because holy fuck <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's I thought the OEL contract. contract was bad like it is but this oh my god. <laughs> yeah darnell nurse could literally be traded for like a bag of jelly beans and <laughs> no one would
1: bat an eye <laughs> oh there's this instagram page that had a bunch of trade proposals for like some of the expecting trade bait boards and it had like Horvat for or like it had besser for matt dumba first round pick second round pick kind of thing like it had all these trade mm-hmm. like mock trades and it had darnell nurse for a bag of harry bow gummy bears I laughed out loud. <laughs> um, but we'll move on here. Maple Leafs forward. Nick Robertson is out for the year with shoulder surgery. He's one of their prospects that was hoping to have a good year. He's been kind of underperforming a little bit, but hopefully he gets better. Um, Ovechkin reaches 30 goals for the 17th time with the Capitals. That sets an NHL record, passing Mike Gartner. Uh, just I mean, we can talk forever about Ovechkin. He's just unbelievable. Um, congratulations to Krejci for the Boston Bruins plays his thousandth NHL game with the bees. Um, he's just he's been one of those consistent, solid second line centers who just puts up 50, 60, 50 to sixty points every single year. It's just so solid. Congratulations to him. And last note, Patcheri unfortunately hurt again. Um, he left uh, the Canes game um, prior to the connection. I forget who they were playing exactly, but with a lower body injury. He had three goals in four games upon returning to the team, so hopefully he can uh, recover quick. But Hayden, we'll toss it over to you because this past weekend was un-fucking-believable, so uh, tee us up for the wildcard weekend, buddy. Hell-fucking-yeah, it was a weekend
2: and a half. Um, First of all, I just want to ask both of you guys here... Um if you could have put one team in the playoffs in either division, kind of like on that fringe sort of uh playoff record uh, that was really close to the seventh seed, who would you guys put in instead of the seventh seed uh, Seattle and the seventh seed Miami?
1: Hmm. I need to look at, um, yeah, I'm just
0: going to pull it up real quick because that's a really yeah. good
1: question. Because
2: Miami, yeah, they had a good record. Um, Skyler Thompson, and, and I know they played the Bills hard, but no one had Miami
1: winning at all. Yeah. I just think it's an un, unfortunate circumstance because I think that game goes a bit different with, um, with Tua, Tua at the mm-hmm. helm. Just like a little bit. Um, well, I think I, I, so, I, yeah. So I I just wish it kind of could have played out differently, but I mean you can only play what you're given. So Exactly. Um that's a, yeah, that's a tricky oh, question. Uh gimme Detroit. I would want to see them in the playoffs just to see what Dan Campbell could do. Um I think the way he coached this Lions team to a winning record for the first time in what seems like forever. Mm-hmm. Um is just it's you see the city and the culture in Detroit being revived with the turnaround that team's made. Oh yeah. And I just think there's so much we talk about it like Seattle. Like they're that culture, that locker room, everyone's fighting for each other. So and like you can talk about Jared Goff being a stopgap quarterback, which I I think he is, but they're still not moving off of him. They're like, "No, there are he's our fucking guy and we're going to play for him." Yeah, Jared Goff. Say what you want about him, but he's found his niche in Detroit. He had good years in L.A. He's capable of having good seasons, and with a limited um, roster like Detroit provides, dude, that there's only going to be a couple more years for that team really takes off. So I would, I would have liked to see them in the playoffs just to see what, just to see um, what they would have done done against. They would have done, yeah, because they were the people's teams. They they were the people's team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. was a fan of Detroit, whether you liked it or not. Yeah, man. I so, agree, man. That's, yeah, so that's what I would have wanted to see out of the NFC, um, AFC. I'm gonna say the Patriots, but no one else really <laughs> jumps off the board in terms of fringe playoff teams, but yeah i the mean AFC's
0: it seems tricky because like patriots don't you know i wouldn't have cared so much to see them in there they're know, not sports. really
1: exciting like they no, don't think, fucking
0: yeah if the titans had ryan tannehill i would have been um fine to see more you know the titans play like a kind of playoff brand of football so if they had a healthy quarterback i would have said the titans but the AFC's yeah. made a crap shoot um, yeah. for that i think
1: so i far. think the right teams made it for the afc in my opinion yeah, and I, I, would I would
0: second the the Lions pick. I, I'm a big uh, Dan Campbell fan. Obviously, uh, Hayden coming from that Saints program, big. Oh yeah, and
4: big. Uh, so love guy. what
0: he's doing there. And uh, I'm also a big Jameson Williams guy. I took him with my fourth overall pick in my dynasty league last year. And I got him at five. So I just think that's going to be like. I would just want to see more Lions football. I think they're yeah. exciting. And um I love those brands of football. So uh oh, it's yeah. a shame that they didn't make it. I was actually like really rooting because whatever that situation was that they needed, I can't right the Seahawks. They were depending they, on the Seahawks losing, right?
2: Yeah, they needed uh they needed to win their game and then they needed the Seahawks to lose yeah. uh their game to LA, which it looked like it could have been yeah. if Baker Mayfield had done Anything equivalent to what he did against Denver, yeah. yeah, and it's
1: not like the Packers weren't playing for anything either. Like they were a win and in, yeah. So everyone in the comment section of like the NFL Post of like what needs to happen for each team and stuff like that, and everyone was like, "So we're all Lions fans, right?" Oh yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, and "We I, don't I, want like, Green Bay to be a win and in, no." Uh, so no,
2: and I love Dan Campbell's response to it. It's like, "Why did you do that when you could have got a a better pick if you lost?" And he's like. What what are we now? And they're like, you're you're twelve. And he's like, what were we if we lost ten? Yeah, that's why. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. it's it's two picks, and you're beating you're you're beating. It's like a playoff game. You're beating someone to eliminate them. Yeah. And I love that mentality. That is a especially a division
1: rival, like division rival.
2: especially
1: like Detroit's probably like if we're not making it in, they're not making it in either. Especially so we're gonna win this Green game. Bay. Yeah. So it's like. If they beat us, they're in and we're not. If yeah. we win, we're either in or we're both out. So, exactly, yeah. Yeah. And you're not going to tell a team to play for a better draft pick that could potentially take one of those players' spots. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like no, no one's going to play for that. No. You tell a player to play for a better draft pick and they're going to tell them they're going to request a trade. Anyway, yeah. Be like, don't fucking ever tell me to do that again because I'm playing for my job. Everyone's playing for the job each play. Big right? agree. Big agree. But so, yeah. with that, we'll start Saturday afternoon.
2: We had the uh for the first half, what seemed like Seattle plus 10 was the smartest bet anyone could ever make in their life. And then Brock Purdy decided he's like, you know what? I have the shivers gone. Now I'm gonna start playing good. Yeah, I'm and, settled
1: in now. <laughs> and
2: everyone decided to play good. Debo had a huge run. McCaffrey yeah. had a huge run. Kittle with two touchdowns on
1: three catches, like
4: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. So Stand Kittle's Francisco. just Kittle's just back now, right? Like he's just fucking, he's back. He's back. Yeah, he's back. Yeah. Like uh, he was consensus number two tight end behind Kelsey. People were even fighting him as the tight end to have. Outside of fantasy football because of how versatile he is and run blocking, pass blocking, all that. Yeah. But then block. he kind of fell off a bit because he was injury prone. Unfortunately, he went through some things and kind of just slowed down due to not getting targets. But now Brock Purdy's like, nah, baby, you're better when you're on top. <laughs> yes. We're better when you're on top. And Kittle <laughs> is just racking up the catches. San Francisco is just so fucking back So on hard to defend
0: because Ayuk is a great receiver too, Yeah. he's such a good route runner that they're. It's just like they're so hard to stop, even with Brock yeah. Purdy. I mean, and he's like no slight to him because he's playing great football, but just like the pieces around him and the run game and the defense is. It's just like you'd have to really work to not thrive right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's just such a great system. Right? It's and just you, looking so good. And you, have to,
1: you have to try hard to fuck up in that system with the yeah. players that are. Um, that you, Kyle Shannon's working with. Like, you have to really try hard to screw this up because there's so many versatile players on that team.
2: Well, it becomes more and more of a question every week, too. Do you just say like whatever you can get for Lance and be done with it? Like, I uh, yeah Birdie is is playing like he has he has nothing to lose, which he doesn't because. He's- he loses one, one, one game, and it's like, yeah, we're going back to Lance. But if he wins and wins and wins and wins, like if they get to the Super Bowl, I, I'm Kyle Shanahan. I'm like, yeah, Lance, we're just gonna try and get whatever we can for you.
1: <laughs> no, I one thousand percent do that. And Hayden, like, I was on the opposite end because I wanted to see what Lance could do. But like, like you were saying, they don't need anything special at quarterback position to make the system work, and. I don't need to see Purdy go to the Super Bowl. I'm trading Lance's offseason and seeing what I can get. I'm gonna try and get as best package as I can. To... I think
0: I think they cemented that when they traded for CMC because I think if you add like a run first yes. quarter into that system, you're gonna screw up the the like it's gonna mess things up. Like it's just not conducive to a running quarterback right now with Christian McCaffrey and how yeah. much mm-hmm. draft capital you sent to acquire him. I think when they made that move, it was to me. To me, that was like, this is our build. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll deal with Lance. Like that's just a, a an. And they can just get something for him. Like we'll see. I'm curious what they do with him. Like bring yeah. him back to the training camp. You know, get teams to have a look at him. We'll
1: see, but... Yeah, uh, I do think he has to get some reps under his belt before they can trade him because of how gruesome his injury was. So I think preseason, maybe first couple weeks of regular season, they trade him just so people can actually scout him and get a bit more film on him to see how he's playing and how that injury has impacted him. But I do not think he's the quarterback of the future for the 49ers. I think he's going to be traded within... Next season, at some point, I think.
0: Oh, and yeah. teams will be lining up to take a chance at him, the quarterback. Oh, see yeah, see
2: especially me. if you could get him for cheap too. Like, yeah, if he if he only plays in the preseason, you gotta let him start all three games. Yeah, and show what he can do. Uh, at least he'll at be around by split. then.
1: At least get at least. some games, like get him some halves as well, because he's still Agreed. a young quarterback. um Agreed, but, but you just
2: gotta let him. Like, you just gotta tee up basically uh lance and say like yeah this this, look at he's healthy he's good Like we'll take a third round for him
1: yeah let let bro cook you know what i'm saying (laughs) um but bro i do want to go back to your point about having lance in the backfield like McCaffrey and players like debo and iuk and stuff like that i really relate it to having too many ball handlers on an nba team like having like westbrook harden and chris paul on the same team kind of thing it's like those are all guys who need the ball in their hands so it's not going to work when you guys when you have Lance Debo McCaffrey they're all they all want to make plays but when you have Lance who wants to run as well that's going to ruin the morale when they're like yo this guy's not getting me the ball he's not giving me the ball but it's like yo I want to run with the ball as well like that's Mm -hmm. just going to ruin it so if you get a quarterback who's going to facilitate and they're like I don't need to fucking run I suck at running I'm a statue back here (laughs) So it's like, all right, perfect. Your share can split between me and the other guys. We're going to get the ball more. And with your limited running, we're going to get more screens, handoffs, slants, whatever, and let us do more um, making plays and stuff. So I really think that it's best to go with quarterbacks Mm like Um, Purdy. Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy.
0: Because Elijah Mitchell's no slouch either. I mean, that guy, he's a bit of a bad He can turn.
1: <laughs> he can stay like, healthy. He can
0: turn. So, like, what is he going to do if, if you know, you're just too many cooks? But... Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, I, I agree. And that's what I related to. Yeah. Too many cooks in the kitchen, uh, especially, you know, if you consider or if you basically put this into uh, cooking terms, you can't have your head chef have, like, eight sous chefs because... Then it's like you just got no regular cooks. So, yeah, you, you got to let you got to let the boys eat. But you also got to let them, you know, take a little bit off. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. So San Francisco, you guys are in a very good, good
1: position right now. Oh, they're back at uh, the top. And it's oh, yeah. amazing how much that last thing quick. Yeah. I was really interesting to see how like McCaffrey would gel with that roster right away. He hasn't taken instantly. That it's it instantly was working right away and i think that made it really scary like the league was scared after seeing how quickly he made he gelled with that team well fuck it's only like
2: you put the you put like the best dual that dual threat running back in like one of the most creative offensive minds in all of football what do you think's gonna
1: happen Yeah, yeah he's gonna he's
2: gonna tear it up
1: Dude, you have a running back who can play receiver, you have a receiver who can play running back. You have (laughs) (laughs) like it's you have two a tight end who's a lineman. Yeah, it's (laughs) fucking unfair. And then you have Ayuk who's the forgotten wide receiver one on that team. (laughs) Yeah. And then like the defense alone could eat
0: people all the way to the super. Like so easily. Dude,
1: you have Warner and Bosa on that defense alone.
0: It's an issue. I'd love to see them play the Eagles.
1: I just I want I that, really That want.
2: has to happen.
1: It has yeah, to happen. It's going to be a good matchup if it does. Yeah. But anyways, Hayden continue, sorry.
2: No, it's fine. It's good. Uh Saturday night, um I you called me Jeff uh after us talking about, you know, Lawrence being the best number 1 overall pick and if for the Jacksonville Jaguars and I was like uh yeah, I agree. And then Saturday night happened, and it's like, I'm back on Etienne being the best first-round <laughs> first <one>. pick. <laughs> and then uh, two hours later. Staley, staley. Like, ah, uh, but the sad part is we saw this coming. We called it. We called that the Chargers were going to do this, but in such dramatic fashion, never saw that coming.
1: Yeah. Like, Brett, Bre- I said that I wouldn't be surprised. Like, me, Ian, and Hayden last week. We all said that we could see the Jaguars winning this game, like they did it earlier in the season. Yeah. Like they're not like they're home underdogs, um, still, which like that's like they could really win this game. Yeah. But I didn't think they'd do it in this fashion. Like I thought they'd be going toe to, to toe with toe to toe, yeah, and try to win. Yeah, not a twenty-seven point comeback. Like what the fuck? No, it's unbelievable. And. I just, I, I love talking
2: or how everyone talks about like the turnover differential. It just, it just reminds me of, it takes me back to a dark place, uh, saints in playoffs. <laughs> um, it, when you have plus five turnover differential, you're not supposed to win no. when new Orleans had a plus three turnover differential and lost to Tampa in the divisional two years ago, which by the way, Drew Brees played his last, Uh, game ever two years ago today (sighs) or three years ago today fucking kill me right now some old
4: yeah
2: (laughs) pour one out for the boy but (laughs) um it's like you're not supposed to win those games no No. and (laughs) the moment the moment i knew when it was going to be different was when the chargers didn't score when the ball hit the fucking guy right on the head uh for like the punt gunner return man or whatever and it's like how do you not score within the 20 yard line there at least a touchdown you know you kick the field goal and then the next drive the jaguars had they went down and scored and i was like that's gonna be it right there and then slowly inching and inching and inching and you know 28 to 3 is 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 irrelevant now it's now 27 to 7
1: or 27 nothing yeah 27 nothing (laughs) Yeah, third biggest playoff comeback in NFL history. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. And the twenty eight to three was just Super Bowl, like biggest yep. Super Bowl comeback. It's very but...
0: Chargers. It's very on brand for them. And I think like I think the Chargers like kind of started charging last week when they played all their starters and they didn't have to. Yep. And I watched Mike Williams get hurt, and I'm just like, this Why? is. If I was a Chargers fan, and I have a couple of close buddies who are like degenerate Chargers fans. <laughs> It just it would make me want to ram my head through the drywall. Right? It's like, why are you starting? Like, why is this happening? And to me, I was like the writing, I was just just like, this is this is not gonna be the Chargers year. Like they their run defense is Swiss cheese. So to me, I was like, the Jaguars are gonna win if they can just run the ball like in between the tackles consistently. I think they can win this football game. And then sure enough sure enough it was like, no, we're gonna throw four picks <laughs> and crawl our way back. But uh the Chargers are just that frustrating franchise, like all the talent in the world and they just yep. can't they've never found a way to pull it all together. It's just I,
1: just I just never think they've had a qualified coach at the helm to really drive the bus. On that, because I think right from the get-go, Jaguars were up heavily in coaching. Oh, Uh, Doug Peterson has that playoff run, that Super Bowl under his belt, and he turned this Jaguars team around. Like I've never seen a team turn around quicker than this Mm -hmm. Jaguars team, and it really showed that coaching matters because Urban Meyer was utterly disgraceful, awful, and Peterson came and was like, "Don't worry, I'm here," (laughs) and that. Did wonders to Lawrence um, because he really showed Clemson Lawrence this year. Yeah. And in that sense, this is half, a generational right? talent that everyone yeah.
0: thought they were getting, right? Um, so he I mean, needed that
1: support. Time. Yeah. <laughs> and they chargers chargered. Like it's <laughs> yep. it's really unfortunate because I'm not a Chargers fan, but like I picked up Herbert in my dynasty league off the waiver wire and started falling in love with him. So I'm like mm-hmm. an adopted Herbert fan Fanatic. so I, w- I want to see him do well like he is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the league I really want to see him succeed so I have to see the Chargers succeed I didn't watch like the last maybe third of the game because I was um going to a friend's birthday but I saw the score because I was like I want to see what the score is at because I kind of saw that the Jags were starting to turn it on a little bit like they got a score and stuff like that and they were kind of turning up the heat a little bit I saw that it was 30 to 28 for the charges with three seconds left in the fourth. And I'm like, the only reason it doesn't say final right now is because the Jags are probably in field goal range. And they Mm -hmm. called the timeout. And I'm like, I'm not getting an update right now. I put my phone away for five minutes. I look up and I see. And I texted Hayden because I saw that the time was frozen. I texted Hayden. I was like, what's happening right now? Because I (laughs) see this. Like, what is happening in the game? Five minutes later, I look, turn my phone on. And TSN notification, Hayden texted me. I was like, it actually happened. Oh my god! I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think it was possible.
2: Let me just say that kick barely went in, but it went in, and that's all that matters on the. They score don't ask sheet. how. Yeah, they don't ask yeah. how. <laughs> uh, all I can say about this game is Sean Payton has entered the chat, and that's yeah. where we're gonna leave
1: it. Well, well, they've <laughs> um they fired um, Joe Lombardi. They fired their OC, and yeah. uh, They fire. They fired another coach. Um, as well, maybe he was the OC and something else, but um, yeah, they made some changes. Do we think Staley's gone? Yes, yeah, like, I think, I you, think he, has, he to, right?
2: has to be gone, man. Like, it, it yeah. can't be another year of this bullshit. Like,
0: no more, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're too talented of a roster. I think they way no too
2: shit. talented, way too talented. I, I completely agree, and all I can see them doing next year in the draft is if they have any picks left after they give them all to New Orleans <laughs> okay, they're, they're going to have to go younger receiver because Mike Williams and Keenan Allen dude, they need are, speed dude they're getting old they're, they need someone who can like they need like a Chris Olave sort of prototype player like a Garrett Wilson someone who's reliable but young now because they're getting old and they're getting injured quick
4: yeah,
1: Peyton and Olave for three first-round picks. Boom. No, I wouldn't do that. actually. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, anytime you hear three first-round picks,
0: I'm like, mm, but
2: no, I really like, Olave. I mean, it's um, like maybe that.
1: Eh, oh fuck! No, I like Rashid Shahid too. Fuck. I know yeah, was, yo, First name all, first team all. Name. Oh yeah.
0: But like, really quickly on that point, real quickly because you kind of alluded to it. Hayden is Joe Lombardi. Saints under Sean Payton's tutelage goes to the mm-hmm. Chargers. flopped. Pete Carmichael, you know, takes over the reins this year. Doesn't look like the same play caller. Payton's stock is just through the roof right now. It's Threw never the been roof. Here. Like this guy, <laughs> he was he was the secret sauce man. Like yep. he made it work. Uh, so, fuck yeah. if it's, if
2: Staley gets fired, I can immediately see. Uh, Peyton taking Pete Carmichael with him to the Chargers, and I'd totally be okay with that. Yeah, I'd be fine.
4: With
2: that. <laughs> yeah, uh, give me a new offensive coordinator, please. Someone who knows how to use
4: Camara. Yes, before yeah. it's too late. Yeah, exactly.
2: And that, and um, that's what I'm going to say about Saint stuff. But moving on to Sunday, <laughs> um, what I thought was going to be like the absolute blowout of blowout games, uh, turned out to what I wanted: the Seattle Seahawks. And the uh, 49ers game to be because it was a lot closer. But uh, the Dolphins, uh, surprise report almost came out that Mike McDaniel was going to get fired if they didn't make playoffs. <laughs> I don't know how you could do that, considering your franchise quarterback almost fucking had his brain turn off twice. Mike McDaniel has turned around the Dolphins organization and almost beat the juggernaut bills with a backup backup quarterback.
1: Yeah. I don't understand any flack that Mike McDaniel gets. I think he is, like, there should be no negative backlash towards him. He's done great this year with what maybe he handled the first two, a situation poorly. Maybe. But he was probably just listening to team doctor. So the team doctors probably mishandled to him more than he did. But I think just in general, I think he's done great this year. Yeah. Um, I agree. I, Other I don't than want the to...
4: fact
0: that the teams kind of started to figure out their offensive strategy a little bit, they were losing their luster a little like defenses were starting to figure out how to, how to play the dolphins. Yeah. Tyreek so, and Waddle
1: slowed down a lot. So they did. Yeah, I think like
0: they had that one, it's like that one play in Madden that like always works. They had that one, they had their yep. same plays that they really relied on and defense were started, you know, they were starting to take that away. And I was, I was curious to see what they'd look like with Tua and with like defenses starting to like pay attention to that. Cause, um, it's just too bad if that Tua wasn't there. I was pleased with how the Dolphins looked. Like that defense, like that was that game was way better than I expected it to be. I was just pleased oh, that yeah. it was an entertaining game. And uh yeah, it was actually more fun than I thought thanks to their defense. oh thanks to Josh Allen, I guess, being a little generous with the football.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's turned into a very like tough part of Allen's game is um playing discipline. hero ball too much discipline. Yeah. He's yeah. letting Nick Wright had a good um uh phrase about it he's on uh first things first on fs1 i believe and he says that as talented as he is he's getting intoxicated on his own talent he's yeah he like you said he's trying to just do too much with it he knows he can do it so he tries to do the impossible each time Mm -hmm. where he just needs to step back slice and dice the offense that's how the Patriots were so successful mind you Tom Brady didn't have the talent that Josh Allen did but how they beat their opponents was Rex Ryan also said death by a thousand cuts so you just got to piece up the defense and always keep them guessing where you always anticipate Allen scrambling rolling out throwing it deep to Gabe Davis yeah and somehow like we saw an unbelievable one-handed backflip touchdown by Dawson Knox that happens every fucking playoffs. (laughs) So I think the Bills need to, yes, they got the win, but they really need to come back to reality and just play disciplined football. They're going to need to run
0: the football
1: at some point. They're going to need to run the tackles. And and not designed runs by Allen. Like, they need to actually use their running backs a lot more. Yeah, I, they, like, I definitely
0: has shown that he can do that at times this season, but they really don't want to run between the tackles. But at some point, in this playoff run, they're going to have to. I don't know if they can <laughs> good enough in that in that circumstance. But uh, Allen has kind of he's overcome those deficiencies, right? So
2: yeah, he, <laughs> you, you live and die by Josh Allen. Yeah, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Like what you know what's bad when he rolls out of the pocket and then he's not running, but he's doing like the little stutter step and he has the ball out here. That's when you get nervous because it's like, <laughs> if he takes a hit, he's not going down on the first one. And then he's most likely getting hit and blown up and fumbling. It's just, it's like he, he has to, he has to have a mental clock in his head, always going. If I don't see anything and I can't run, throw the ball away or else I'm going to get blown up or, or slide. Like Give yourself just up. do anything, do anything to not take a sack. Like that's what I mean. Like don't okay. take a sack behind the line.
1: Yeah.
2: Don't take a sack, make the smart play and move on to the next one. Like that's the that's the whole thing about being a quarterback, right? Is quick thinking, quick minds, you know, get a get a play in, get a play out. That's all you need to do. Obviously there's so much more, but a lot of the mental game is going play by play. It's not thinking about what you're going to do in the red zone when you're at your own fucking 5-yard line. It's how do I get to there? So I think they have to. They have to realize that they need to play a slower game because mm-hmm. you're not beating Cincinnati with that shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, we'll uh we'll move on. Bills obviously win close nail biter. Good game. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to say, uh, Mike McDaniel, that was probably your worst coached game. Ever, I don't know how many like that game felt like it was four and a half hours, right?
1: (laughs) I um I didn't catch uh the first half of it, but I tried to watch as much as the second half was.
2: It went from like 10 o'clock, Jev, to they had to delay the New York and Minnesota game to 150,
1: yeah, yeah, (laughs) and it's still and it still went over, yeah, like it ended at like two, like
2: 155. And that was that was a lot of false starts and a lot of like timeouts taken by McDaniel. It was terrible, terrible yeah. coaching game. But next game, uh, the Giants uh, upset the fraudulent Minnesota Vikings and uh, Brett, as a Saints fan, I think we were both cheering for the Giants. <laughs>
0: and no issues with that outcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, only
2: post the Minneapolis miracle the day before about everywhere on my timeline. All for you to throw it three yards uh on three yards and eight beyond the yawn, uh, be, yeah, beyond the line in scrimmage on fourth and eight to end your season. a big like, fuck you to Minnesota. That's yeah. the most and Kirk such a thing Kirk to cousin's
0: do way of finishing a season.: Yes
1: <laughs> I, you beat me to the punch, Brett. like that's such a Kirk thing to do. absolutely yeah it really is
4: (laughs) and
2: i i was just like oh my god wow josh dobbs must have called kirk and said like yo this play works man (laughs) (laughs) yeah the only person i would ever trust that you throw a three-yard dump off to on fourth down is tyreek hill there's no tyreek hill on minnesota Like, you got jettas but he's not tyreek hill
0: no so and even then, I think you just like you just have to push the ball past the sticks you there. Just if, and you
1: have if, to if he yeah. threw past the sticks and it got and it was good enough to like or it was like he gave his receiver a chance and it just didn't um i would like so complete, much rather
2: end on a pick than a fucking three yard dump yeah.
1: off you gotta give a chance to get a first down and have your receiver make a uh make a catch if he does those two things and it goes incomplete or interception no we're not talking about this right now but mm-hmm. it's the fact that he didn't three yards when you need eight with a linebacker directly behind hawkinson or whoever caught the pass hawkinson it's like, yeah it's like you're not giving him a chance to at least make a play no yeah, and hawkinson's not a yak
0: guy he never, no. n- never he's
1: a, a, a possession guy. guy he's at the sticks and stuff <laughs> like that like it it was a pathetic attempt to keep the season going and they just re-signed him this year, did they not? Like didn't they extend him? Kirk. Like, yeah, they just did, yeah. <laughs> like that's tough. Look. Yeah. no, oh, absolutely. No. But you know what?
2: They had a fun season. Uh they won like all their one-score games until it mattered
1: the most. So it's a hard stat to rely on.
2: Love mm. it. Love yeah. it. Uh,
1: Um, can we talk a little bit about Dable and Vanilla Vic and Saquon looking exactly what I was gonna say? Because Danny
2: Dimes, Vanilla Vic, whatever the fuck you want to call him, (laughs) first player to ever pass for over 300 and rush for over 70 yards, and he looked good doing it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely looked good. And you know what? Danny Dimes has had a great year this year, and I've gone back and I've seen and just thought about like a lot of his tape. He's he's a really good passer. His receivers suck at
1: catching. Oh my god, the Giants' receiving <laughs> core is probably the worst in the league.
4: And they, it, but it's it not late even late. that bad.
1: But like, Kenny Galladay caught his like first pass of the fucking year in like week eighteen or like week seventeen or some shit. First touchdown. One of the one of like <laughs> the worst contracts Ever. in the NFL. But like, it's just like. With Tony gone, like, he was dynamic when he was healthy. But, like, there's just not really anything that screams yes in the Giants receiving room. Like, Hodgins kind of looks like he could become something. But, like, there's no one that you really, like,
4: You know who it is?
0: It's my boy, Daniel Bellinger, who actually (laughs) I think is legit sauce. That guy is a good tight end. And he is, like, year one starter. Tight end, which doesn't happen all the time. He's been injured, and he's come back. Like he, I actually think he's like a legit viable starting fantasy tight end for years to come.
2: I was Uh, looking at his name, and it's like if they really set up Danny Dimes with a contract, I I could put him on Dynasty just just in case because I agree. I agree.
0: I think there's potential there, and like Daniel Jones in this system. We were talking about Jared Goff earlier, like. The NFL is so fickle like that, where you can have a good player in a bad system and it just never works. Yep. Goff, I was in a decent system as a Ram, but he's really flourished now. And this system for Daniel Jones is just perfect. And he could end up being like the best quarterback, too, in super flex leagues for those who have him on. Oh, it. yeah. Like next year, like he, like those running court, like Jalen Hurts and how much he runs, like he's not Jalen Hurts, but he has that kind of. Like he has variable. that explosiveness too, yeah.
2: He has that right. gear, yeah.
0: And it's, I, and it's cool. like he's like a year, like what is it, fifth year option he's coming into, right? Or is it he's I think they declined, they it.
2: declined his fifth year declined option, him. but they have to extend him. Totally. Surely you I, give him like 25 to 30 mil,
0: right? Like annually, think <laughs> he's played his way into. Yeah. Especially the with Dable, landscape is so bad. I mean, Derek Carr is getting fired. Yeah, you got to play something like that. You know, it's so hard to find.
1: Yeah, yeah. and I, I remember at the beginning of the season that, um, like Dable coming in, he was the OC for Buffalo, and you can't tell me that Daniel Jones and Josh Allen aren't somewhat alike.
2: Oh, they very when, much are alike when they
1: first. Started in the league. They were very undisciplined in terms of turnovers and being very sporadic with some of their passes, passing decisions and stuff like that, but very good runners of the ball. Fucking Daniel Jones had no one to handle his offense, whereas opposed Josh Allen had McDermott overseeing everything and Dable coaching the offense. Dable comes over like he was just... He's copy and pasted the same quarterback. You can't tell me that Daniel Jones wasn't going to have a better year under this new coaching staff. Like, he's just he's gotten a solid foundation under his belt. And Dable gave him nothing but confidence and just let him run. And Daniel Jones improved in every single category possible. Passing, running, interceptions, completion percentage. Like, he was a legit starter, and he looked like the future of this team. And looking on Giants Twitter and just the whole media surrounding that team, everyone's opinion on Daniel Jones is somewhat flipped. They still might not have complete trust in him as the future, but they're they've switched on him enough where they want to see a couple more years out of him as the Giants quarterback. Yeah, as opposed to last year, they were like, get him out of here. He's not the future. Where now they're saying, I want to see what he can do next year. Mm hmm. And the year after, and now everyone is—he's given them a playoff win after their first appearance in many years. And Since their whole team, twelve, and their whole team looked good. Yeah. Saquon looked unfucking believable, mm-hmm. and Daniel Jones looked solid. So I'm excited to see how this Giants team goes, uh, like moves forward in the playoffs, and what Daniel Jones's future looks like as a Giant and just as a starter and see if this year can really a catapult next weekend,
0: uh, fun divisional matchup. Oh yeah. Out.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's going to be good. So coach I'm excited. Of, I think he's definitely the coach of the year. Brian
2: Dable is, um, I think he deserves it. Like we can talk about coaches turning around like Doug Peterson, Dan Campbell, uh, Brian Dable. I think those are my top three for coach of the year. Um, They've done so much in one year of, like, a big turnaround. Dan Campbell took two years, but, mm-hmm. like, to, to see where the Giants have been and where they were and how desperate they were, Brian Dable is just, like, leaps and bounds beyond anything I'd ever imagined the Giants season to come to. So, super excited for them, Uh, even though I'm not a Giants fan at all. But I am a big Saquon fan. Yeah. I love Saquon. So... I think you can look back
0: and say that that was worth the draft capi- capital for Saquon, even without, yes. even with the hiccups. Uh, they can't do what they did yesterday without like an elite running no. back.
2: No, and and he like that spin move that he put on. I think it was Harrison Smith. If put Harrison Smith in retirement home with that one, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but uh, we'll move it to Sunday night. Uh. Man, so many mixed uh, emotions of quarterback fans. Uh, Michael Vick and RG3 were going at it and started talking shit. RG3 even posted a picture of his fucked up leg in that brace uh, playing through it. uh, Because Michael Vick was so hard on Lamar Jackson saying that he needs to just play this game. No, no, (laughs) he does not. Uh, Robert Griffin kind of cringed this year, but I will fully back him and say that he put Vic in a body bag, pun not intended, and um, absolutely bodied him with his picture saying, like, no, Lamar needs to take his time. He doesn't have a contract yet, and he's going to get paid by someone next year. Cincinnati uh, took care of business in Baltimore. But I feel like we all knew it was coming, considering that Baltimore's defense was the only thing that could kind of stop Cincinnati because their offense looked so brutal to watch. Yeah. And that last play was just how their season is gone. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like One Dobbins. Away.
1: Dobbins looked solid. And, but like, it just looked like Huntley couldn't really get comfortable until later. Like it seemed like he was really scrambling in the backfield. Like he didn't really have any time to make decisions, but as the game went on, he got a little bit more comfortable, um, finding Robinson and a few others. Like he was finding Mm -hmm. Andrews more and more as the, as the game went on, he had that big run as well. He broke free, but Huntley, I think his slow start, not being able to get comfortable, really hurt Baltimore's momentum in trying to generate anything. Whereas Cincinnati kind of, yeah, Joe Burrow got sacked a lot, but they were finding, a, they were generating a lot more plays and first downs and moving the sticks a lot more consistently from the get-go, which hurt Baltimore. Yeah.
0: I never got the sense that the Ravens were going to take control of that football game, right? They were chasing it right from the get-go. And uh, yeah, they are, there are run first team that isn't like a great, running football team <laughs> even though no. like i love Dust bus and jk like they look good when they run the football but they just that's their identity but they're Gus not bus yeah they don't have the support to let like run the football how the ravens want to one thing i wasn't a huge fan of harbo harbaugh. harbaugh coming out after and like oh. I thought he kind of under the bus man like i thought that was a bad look what you did know, he say?
1: Sorry, I must have missed it. Oh, my God. He's basically
0: telling the media that Huntley made an error in going up over the top of the pile, and he should have gone low. But, I mean, to me, it's like, I don't even know if that's true. Even if it was Huntley's mistake, as the head coach, you got to go down with the ship, in my opinion. It's just like, you got to wear it. Like, you can't scapegoat that. I thought that no. was brutal. And Harbaugh, yeah. like, even on the field, like, he gives this, like, like, He's like an asshole handshake to uh, what's the Bengals head coach Zach again? Taylor. Taylor. I just thought I'm. I'm not a big Har- Harbaugh guy. I was just like, that's a bad luck. I was just like, see uh, think: Ravens. Uh,
2: <laughs> I think Harbaugh has had a had a lot on his mind, especially with the Lamar uh, sort of thing. Like, I love Harbaugh as a coach. I definitely think he was a big dick and maybe just staying his own lane. Because even after the first quarter, when the uh, when the on field reporter tried to talk to him, yeah, she's man. like, she's like, "Oh, so could we see?" I forget the backup quarterback to Huntley. Could we see him come into this game? No, yeah. <laughs> just walks away. Nah, he was he was spicy,
1: <laughs> but he, also he, was, in my opinion, yeah. what a dumb fucking question, right? Oh like, yeah. Oh, if yeah. My, I th- reporters need to get put in their place sometimes with some of these yeah. fucking questions they ask. Can we see the third string quarterback in a huge rivalry game in the playoffs? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't no. blame him for that testy yeah. response. <laughs> no, but, like um, I would be pissed off with that question too. It's like, yeah. I'm not going to give you any more than no. And then I his yeah. his <laughs> you don't facial my time.
2: expression was like. <laughs> Did you really just fucking ask me that? Yeah, like reporters if my, they if my knew. quarterback is healthy, he's playing. <laughs> yeah,
1: they need to get put in check. Cause it's not like Huntley's he's had good instances in games. Like he's a good backup yeah. quarterback. So I actually like- felt
0: bad. I was really rooting for Huntley. I was kinda as much as I don't really like the Ravens in, in general, I don't particularly know why. I was kind of rooting for Huntley. And I felt bad for him after those post-game comments, because I was just like, yeah. Yeah, maybe he was supposed to go low, but like that's a team miscommunication error and the head coach should wear that in, in my yeah. opinion. Anyway, no, yeah. I, agree.
1: I, I agree that you have to go down with the ship no matter what and then address it face to face with your guy. Yeah, um, man. because I mean,
4: because like, that
1: if that, if that play works Huntley's looked at like what a great play, but since it didn't, it's like what a dumb play, right? It's one of those where, um, the result will determine what people say about it. Um, So I think you got to ride with your guys and then address it privately. Yeah,
2: no, definitely. But that was... Oh, voice crack. Jesus Christ. Jesus but God. that was the uh, Sunday night game. Now into the amazing Monday night game. Now, Jeff, I know you don't want to talk about this at all, so you can just unplug your headphones (laughs) brett and i can just oh
1: yeah i i don't think i've ever been more infuriated about a game that my team wasn't involved in (laughs) like hayden with that survivor pool i was like tampa bay with points at home against a team brady's never lost to i'm taking that
4: yeah.
1: Yeah. The first two drives from Dallas, I was like, this is looking good. But also it's, the first yeah, two drives like, from oh, Tampa, wow. but also the first two drives from Tampa, I'm like, this isn't looking good. <laughs> because, I mean, nothing happened the first two possessions for each team. No. And then Prescott just went to work and just started putting the Tampa Bay defense on the workbench and just absolutely fucking <laughs> tearing them apart. And my entire like morale was just going down and i was delivering yep. pizzas and i was i was breaking the rules and had the game on while i was driving and just prescott was going over the top like so yep. many times tampa's defense could have made a stop and i'm like what
4: the fuck are you doing
1: and i'm like yo i don't have any money i, I guess i have money on this but like i'm like just get one stop
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> one stop and dallas was just getting points. Tampa was gifted four missed extra points from my... Yeah, man, that was fire. crazy. Four yeah. missed extra points, and you still have a goose egg at half? Yeah. Figure it the fuck out, man. <laughs> like, I don't know if this is Todd Bowles, I don't know if this is Brady, or I don't know if it's everything, but you got to figure it out. I Bowles, think it's Bowles, in it my is. opinion, you're not a coach. You're a coordinator. Go back to D.C., and Tampa's got to find something else like i think saints will ask for 10 first round picks if tampa tries to approach him for sean payton but <laughs> <laughs> you gotta try and if you can get sean payton at a decent price you try and find him and then put todd Bowles back to dc because he did good as a defensive coordinator when um uh fuck what was tampa's old coach bruce arians bruce arians i he did good as a dc when arians was coach Yep. So he's not a coach. He's a coordinator. Try and find something else. That
2: seems to be through. a common thread in the NFC South: uh, defensive coordinators trying to be head coaches and just absolutely oh. failing. Well, you even saw with Matt no. Patricia. That
1: guy sucked with Detroit. Yeah, that was... <laughs> that was. Yeah, that was awful. And then he went back to OC for the Patriots, which doesn't make any. That makes less even
2: sense. even like Dan Quinn, kind of successful. Blew blew a game. Terrible. Uh yeah. Dennis Allen, Jesus Christ. Yeah. And now, yeah, Todd Bowles, like,
1: yo, it's no. totally okay. It's absolutely, to be one of the best coordinators for something. It's yeah. fine yeah. to stay in your lane.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think Bowles was kind of like a. It was not like was a bit of an experiment because they had Brady still. They wanted Arians back. That wasn't going to work. Yeah. I don't know why they went with such a defensive-minded guy uh, working with, with Tom, but, it, you know, like, honestly, like, the Tampa Bay thing is – I think that experiment is coming to a close. Yeah. Obviously, being, you know, a big Saints fan and everything, I've honestly kept – like, I'm not a huge Tom I, – like, I don't love his style of play. I respect the heck out of everything Tom Brady's done. Like, I'm not a, naive enough to not recognize – everything he's accomplished when he was in a Patriot, he was more like, uh, he was different, different division. And I just like, didn't see him as intimately, but since coming into the NFC South and being a saints fan, the thing I don't like about Tom Brady is just his body language, man. Like it's just, oh,
2: absolutely.
0: That's what gets me is like his arm talents there. His arm strength is there. I actually think he can still play football at a really high level. I just, if he carried himself with more like I don't know calmness is not the right word but it's just like it's the tantrums and the body language that get me I actually don't mind his like production on the field he's a fun quarterback to watch when he's right that's what gets me about Tom and you just saw it last night right the deficient like the this deflation with his teammates and this like I can't stand watching it.
2: <laughs> that was that was like one of the best things for like the past three years was just watching well, other than this year, because they actually won both games against New Orleans. But the last, the last four games, mining the playoffs, seeing Tom Brady just rage out on the sidelines, throwing yeah. tablets, tantrums, throwing anything that he can that actually is a completion and not an interception to New Orleans was just was just a um, music to my ears but it was to my eyes like just yeah. visually watching me that was giving me a yeah. uh, fucking stiffy but <laughs> but no i could see how that would be frustrating and he takes it out in the worst ways like there was even a video where he tried to pull a mac jones and uh kick someone from the back like a total yeah. red flag in in soccer so yeah he definitely has his tantrums and yeah. the experiment is over Tampa Bay, yeah, you won a Super Bowl with the greatest quarterback of all time. That's what it fucking took for your yeah. poverty franchise. Now I cannot wait to see what failure of a quarterback you start off with next year, because no one wants to play with Todd Bowles. Okay. No, and, and then there,
0: there's some issues on that roster. I mean, the offensive. Oh, line. the offensive line. Receivers are aging, and Godwin doesn't look quite the
1: same. And like I was about to say, they're, they're getting old. Like yep. they. I think they need to, this is a perfect opportunity to just blow it up, blow it up, suck for a while and fire Todd. Like that, that
2: is a good excuse to fire Todd Bowles because you realize it's not going to go anywhere next year. If you don't have a quarterback, blow it up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good time to blow it up. Join off. the rest but, of the NFC <laughs> yeah. but South. Also, but also, I want to give flowers to Dallas. Like, they had a really good game script. And oh, played, yes. They had a really good game. Prescott, I think. Unbelievable play. there was a ton of pressure on him going into this game. Um, tying the league in interceptions and playing, like, five less games than everyone else. And there's a lot of narratives going um, stuck to his name. Um, not just this year, but just based on his playoff history. He was 1-3 in going into this game. And this was a very big opportunity to prove everyone wrong. And he threw for over 300 yards and four touchdowns. And just mm-hmm. composed himself. He was really composed. And he just played a really, really good game. And I just got to give respects to Dak and just the Cowboys in general. Because there's a lot of pressure And they lived up to it. So
0: Yeah, they stepped up. They looked good. They changed the course a little bit. They were kind of trending down in the last few weeks there. but
2: Especially with that loss against Washington. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they're running running
0: good again. You know, if Dallas can run the football with both those guys. Oh, yeah. Tony
1: Pollard is such a good running back. He's so electric.
0: Yeah. So it's encouraging to see. And all the teams left deserve to be here. And it's going to make for some good football this coming weekend.
2: Yeah. Also, so. one thing, Brett, how awesome was it seeing a receiver with number 13 destroying Carlton Davis? <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Saints <laughs> fans will get that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but uh, that's wild card weekend. Uh, looking forward to an amazing, uh, amazing, 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 Ah, uh, divisional weekend, uh, a lot of divisional games, which is kind of funny how that correlates. So
4: <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll see how it plays out. Hayden, do you <laughs> wanna of... do you just want to give each matchup and we'll just quickly give who we think will win, just like money line?
2: Uh, yeah, we can quickly do that. Let me pull up uh, pull the matchups. bet three yeah. six five up here because that is my trusty dusties. Ah, uh, so the first Saturday game. Uh, is Jacksonville at Kansas City? Uh, eight and a half point favorite. Kansas City is. Uh, the over unders fifty three points. Jesus Christ. Um, um, tell me why I like the Jaguars kind of being a frisky money line play.
1: I think I think Kansas City takes care of the money line wise, but I wouldn't be surprised if um Jacksonville pulls um close late and covers. Like, yeah, um, maybe lose by five or six. Um, pulls a quick uh backdoor cover kind of thing. Um, I can see um, Jags riding momentum and giving Casey a tough test, but I think Casey handles them uh, at home and goes to the I think they handle the title. I think
0: Vegas, like, anytime Vegas goes heavy on the point total like that, I tend to think they're onto something. Like, I think the weather's supposed to be decent at Arrowhead and this just to be point city.
2: <laughs> yeah, it it very well could be. No, I uh, I like that. But that's the first Sunday uh or Saturday. Saturday evening, I guess. Um will consist of the Giants and the Eagles, which man. seven and a half point favorite over under 48 um i'd like to think that the eagles have this but the third time a team plays someone in a game this meaningful scares the shit out of me Mm -hmm. and especially with how hot the giants are and is it going to be rust from philly like are we going to see a well-tuned oil machine or are we going to see a bunch of quirks maybe not, you know, fully kinked out yet? Like this is another one where I could see the spread very much in a in a good play.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I got the Eagles, though. I think the Eagles are going to close them out. You have to assume. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think it's a big spread, though. I think the Giants are going to show up
1: um like i think eagles money line but i like the giants to cover
0: yeah me too i like the giants to cover that but i gotta go eagles i just don't think that i think that team is just i don't think this is the the weekend that they that they go out as long as hurts is healthy i think they win
2: yeah that i i i can't agree or i couldn't disagree like (laughs) i could make up a narrative for for every team right now and that's what scares me cuz I just need a I just need a one play don't overthink it but the Sunday game uh at 12 will be Cincinnati versus Buffalo uh a rematch mm-hmm. of a primed up week 17 um I think I'm not trying to clickbait clout chase or anything if DeMar Hamlin shows up for the pregame. I'm hammering Buffalo minus a million. Like, yeah. If, if he comes out and he leads like a pregame chant or does whatever, Buffalo won't, like, they can't lose that day. You know what I mean? So it's going to be an uphill battle, in my opinion, for Cincinnati, but it's going to be a great fucking game. Yeah. yeah, this is
0: played. This is the neutral site game, right? This is played. No. played in Atlanta? no, no, it's being played in Buffalo. In Buffalo?
2: Yeah, it's only if Buffalo and Kansas City gotcha, uh, gotcha. make it to the, uh, and, the final.
1: And is that just because Bills have the game like the tiebreaker, but they played one less game? Is that why it's neutral? E, the well, yeah, and the fact that if they actually
2: like if they lost uh to Cincinnati, they still would have the one up game on the Chiefs. No, because the Chiefs finished 14 and 3, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if the Bills had won against Cincinnati, then it would be Buffalo home field advantage. Yeah. Uh, so Buffalo, yeah. Would
1: have won the AFC if they beat Cincy, right? Because they Ex- would have
2: exactly and and New England week 18. So there's so many like uncertainties that neutral site, which I I totally agree with. And it looks like it's going to be played in Atlanta, which I don't understand because these are two outdoor cold weather teams. Yeah. Uh but yeah, no. Let's put them on turf and let's make the over under sixty points.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: But um, uh, we, g- we got to get through this week first, obviously. With Buffalo, uh, I like Buffalo to win this game. Yeah, I'll take. I like Cincy.
1: I think Cincy. No, I'm going. actually going
0: Bengals too. Uh I know. I I understand the the Demar. Like that DH narrative, I think that's like a very real thing. But uh I like I like the Bengals. I, I something about Josh Allen's play recently has just I'm leaning Bengals in my in my gut.
1: I just like Bengals history with big games and I just think they show up when it matters and then they just somehow lock down. I like and, to see
0: Jamar Chase getting, like, lippy last game. Like, he seems to be elevating right now, and uh, I, like, I like the Bengals this
4: game. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I I agree. Like, there's there's so many narratives that you could go off with this week, and this is just another one. Yeah. So, uh, last game, uh, Dallas will head to Santa Clara to play a hot, hot, hot San Francisco 49ers team. That is a three and a half point favorite. So what Vegas is telling me is that these teams are even on a neutral site. Bullshit. (laughs) Uh, Dallas, you're playing good, but San Francisco, like they could be the hottest team right now. Uh, This will be Purdy's biggest stage. Undoubtedly Uh, Sunday night football game, primetime, huge divisional game. I think he has the lights for this. And I think I might make a parlay, like betting the uh the eight and a half point plus, seven and a half point plus the uh, five point plus for Bengals, and then give me the one minus, which is San Francisco minus three and a half because mm-hmm. I like San Fran to win this game. Yeah, I okay, like San. I like, San Fran. I like I like
1: San Fran as well.
2: And the over/unders only forty six and a half. Uh, hammer that over. Yeah. Yeah, I like the over. Absolutely. Two
1: offense powerhouses. Two yeah. decent defenses though, but I like the offense overpowering each defense.
2: Seeing as how Dallas single handedly like just fucked Tampa Bay's defense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have to imagine that it'll be over forty six and a half points. Yeah, that's respectable. Yeah. I
4: agree that's with fair. that.
2: But with that, that is the upcoming uh
1: weekend slate. Sick. I like it. Um I had a game prepared, but we have been going for a while. Are you guys wanting to do what I had prepared? Or Brett, I know you have a kid, so if you have to get back to that, I totally yeah. <laughs> I do have to um,
0: bounce at this point, boys. I'd love to stick around and do the to the, do the draft with you. Maybe we can do something like that next time I'm on. But um, I got to roll out here. I can hear a commotion behind me. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> no, I totally respect. We might do no game this week. We'll probably just tap out because we have been going for a while, like I said. If that's uh if that works with you, Hey, we'll uh we'll postpone this one for another time. But no worries, uh Brett, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. Uh, where can the people find uh find yourself? Because I know you're doing a lot of work with some guitar lessons and stuff like that, and a lot of stuff in music. So, where can the people find your stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I love sports, but I'm a music educator and performer as well. So you can find me on Instagram, Brett Roselle Music, and uh, you can f- find my website, BrettRoselle.com. Search my name into the old Google bar or any uh, social platform and you can come across my content. And if you want to learn the guitar, hit me up.
1: Love it. Hayden, where can people find you? At Hayden
2: Barton, uh, Hayden underscore Barton on Instagram and Twitter, and at hport 13 on TikTok.
1: And you can follow me on Instagram at Jevin.Lefebvre on Twitter at JevinLefebvre. Find everything for the show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Left Side Heavy underscore. Uh subscribe to the YouTube left side heavy where you can find full episode pods and leader rating and review. Really helps grow the show anywhere you get your podcast. And we will see you next week with a episode on Wednesday and a kickback and relax on Friday. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace.